um, what we have uh, this is going to be kind of our catch up week, I think, because I have a couple couple of questions, handful of questions from our Slack community, I guess, or from our fans of the show that have sent us in. So I want to get to those. We also have a review to to go through, um, and one of them. Yeah, we've been light on reviews, so I'm really I'm really excited to hear what this new review is. <laughs> well, where do you want to start? I also have a few other topics, um, but um, I don't know. Where do you want well, to start? Let's, let's do. Let's get just through some some uh, lighter topics, then we'll do. Well, then we'll get into questions in the review. We'll finish the show with that, I guess. Okay. <clears throat> you want to start? Yeah, let's start. Um, well, actually, this is this wasn't really a. This was a topic inspired by a question on our Slack channel. This was from Dr. Nick, and since he did it on Slack, I'd say it's public. <laughs> and this one, this was just a question, and I, I, I wanted to ask you this question because you were light on Slack and you didn't respond, so I wanted to get your answer to this. I've been, yeah, sorry about that. I've been super busy. I know, so have I. Uh, so the question is, what are people's stances on test.setup? Have we talked about this? Is it silly? <clears throat> you know, we have talked about that. Well, we've talked about doing setup, but I don't know if we ever talked ever talked about the actual feature of test.setup because I, I actually kind of don't use it. I'll either, if, if I have to, I'll put a static uh, cl- a scoping block or whatever you want to call it um, at the header and that, that'll of course get called for each static method that gets run. Right. Yeah, right. Um, versus the test.setup I think only gets run once when that whole class is initialized. Well, let's, Let's start with that first thing. So that <clears throat> that thing is called a static initializer <laughs> that you mentioned. There you go. <laughs> um, no, so it's you know anywhere it, it can be a top level thing in a class. So it's the word st- and and this is uh, it comes from Java, but it's in you know obviously Apex inherited this particular aspect of Java. So it's the, just the keyword static uh, with open curlies and a closed curly, and it's just it is like you said, it's a block of code that runs when the class is initialized, and you know Salesforce doesn't really tell us much at all about how its class loading mechanism works and all that kind of stuff but if it's yeah you, we can we can make i guess inferences based on you know what they do in uh, java mhm but i think so that's that's the static what you call it it's a static initializer it's a static initializer yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but there's an annotation called setup or test setup it's I true think. but i wanted to describe okay. the static cuz that's what's been around forever right and that's what a lot of us started out using and still use um, the reason it works, so the, so the problem we're trying to solve, to back up a little bit, is you want a test, you, you and every time, um, let's say you have a test class that's got three test methods in it, and really each of those test methods, th- those are actually considered tests. Each one of those is a test. Mm-hmm. But um, before each of those runs, you may need to do some setup. You may need to get some stuff in memory ready. You may need to create some things in the database. Whatever, and that's that's generally called like your test fixture. But something that has to be there has to be some executable code that, that runs that does that stuff. Right. Uh, and you know, in the J unit land, they've got uh, they've had the that this annotation. Uh, no, just Java, Java call them um, annotations. Yeah. Uh, what are they in C sharp? Um, I think they're still annotations. No, in they're C sharp. Not. No, what no, are they? No. Um, what are those called? Attributes. attributes. They're attributes. attributes yeah. yeah. So yeah, Java's had you know, or JUnit in particular has had a I think what is it before test um, annotation that you can put on any method and and JUnit will run that method um, before your test method before each test method runs. So mm-hmm. again, each test method is actually a test. So when test method one runs, that's a test, and so JUnit would run whatever's in your test setup. Okay, mm-hmm. then it runs that test method. 
And once that test method is done, that test is done, everything gets broken down. So whatever you set up and test setup should be gone if you're doing it right. <clears throat> That's why you have to have the test method run before every test. And the reason for that is because you want a clean test fixture. There's some property, if you read any of these kind of testing practices book, you basically want a fresh, un unadulterated test fixture for each test to run. You don't want to depend on a test like leaving the fixture in a known state or anything like that. Right. You're going to end up with all kinds mm -hmm. of test, test bugs, basically, because of that. So in Salesforce, you know, their test mech, their testing system does not have or did not have that notion of like a test setup method. So the way so the way we got around that was we were, were able to use that static initializer to do that. And that actually would not work in Java because in Java, once the JVM loads your class, it stays loaded until that JVM is destroyed. Right. I think I think what's making this work in Salesforce is the fact that each one of your test methods get called is in, is in its own transaction. It's, it's, it's actually much even more more than it's much more than transaction. It's that after your the way that and then again this is this goes to implementation details that Salesforce does not share with us, but for whatever reason, when Salesforce after Salesforce is done running a test, again a test method in one of your test classes, not only does the transaction end and things get rolled back, but your any classes get unloaded from whatever virtual machine they're using, which is why when your second test method runs. Salesforce has to load your class again, which causes your static initializer to run again. Again, in Java, that wouldn't happen. The static initializer would only run once. But in Salesforce, because they're unloading your class after every test, that when a second test runs and subsequent tests, it has to reload the class, and therefore all the static initializers will run again. Right, but I don't think it's synchronous that way. I think it's all in parallel. I, I, maybe a thread is a better word. Maybe each, each test method gets its own thread. Even if you're, even if you're running um, parallel... Those are separate. Those JVMs don't don't bleed over. You're running on different threads. Don't share a J a, like a, a JVM. Right. And I'm using the word JVM. I don't know what Salesforce calls it, but whatever the analog to whatever these run in, it's probably some kind of modified JVM. But yeah, even if, you know, you'd have two threads running parallel. They are there is no sharing. Like you set a static and on a class in one of those threads, mm -hmm. that the other thread does not get that static. That it could have its own the value for that for a particular static. Right, which makes sense. Yeah. Well. And it's something that we depend on, even though, again, that's not documented. It's just right. a behavior we've all noticed and therefore code around like it's a thing, <laughs> which gets back to, you know, the irritatingness of Salesforce not really documenting really important aspects of the platform. You know, go look at the, um, the, the, the Java and the language and the JVM spec, right? Those are specs you can go look at to, that describe the exact behavior. And, and Microsoft's got the same thing in Salesforce. It's just, you know... We just hope that they don't ever change these things because we really depend on them. And a lot of them, I think it, it's, it's crazy to think that they would change some of those things. They, they absolutely could not. But well, A lot boy, of it is based on Java in general anyways, though. I mean, it, it's, it, it it's a layer not, on top of... Exactly. But, but the fact that your threads don't... See, the, the, your threads run in different JVMs, that's not a Java thing. That doesn't, that's not the way any Java app server works. That is unique to Salesforce. But they don't tell you that. They don't document that. It's something you have to discover on your own. And, and because it's not documented... Theoretically, they could say one day could that could go that behavior could change and they'd be like, well, hey, you shouldn't have depended on that because that was not documented, right? But we depend on those things all the time. And all this is is to lead up to say that whenever you when you do that that static in your class that the the initialization initialization that happens Easy is not to global say. to all your other tests. Meaning you, it's not run once; it's run for each one of your tests. If yeah. you have a hundred tests and that initialization is happening a hundred times, 
what, yeah, and whether you have tests running in parallel or not, that static initializer is going, well, you're going to get a fresh copy of that of the class and, and all classes th- that you use, and they will be freshly loaded and initialized every time a test is run. Right. So that's why it's always worked to use a static initializer as a before-test type of thing. Um, now, the question was, now that we've laid some foundation, <laughs> 10 minutes into it, <laughs> the question was, you know, what's better, doing that old-school way that's us... Us old folks, the the oldies, the olds. What are we? The oldies, the, the goodies. Or the olds. <laughs> uh, whether that's better, or whether it's better to use this, you know, this newfangled test setup. Get off my lawn with your test setup. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't know. And in fact, ha- the, he also asked, "Had this been asked before?" And uh, yeah, I believe it has. I think we've talked about this. But I don't remember what our answers were. So the question, you know, some of the things well, I don't remember us getting into the annotation. I remember us talking about testing and, and setting it up, and, and you know, you know, setting up the mocks and all that kind of stuff, and how that works and doesn't work, and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think we ever tackled the the attribute itself, the um, the annotation itself. See, I'm mixing my metaphors yeah, here, right? <laughs> okay. So, the, and, and I think that specifically the question, like the things that people always want to know, is like if you use, what's the benefit of using? This what's it called? Test setup or it's yeah, test, test setup. setup. Yeah. What's the benefit of using test setup? Does it do you get higher limits? Does it happen in its own limit? Um, what What are the other questions people usually ask around that? That's the big one. Well, well I mean, the main thing, which is what it, what its purpose is, is is can the data that's initialized in there cross all your other test methods? Be available to all your other test methods? Oh yeah, it's it, yeah. It it runs in the same. It runs in the same transaction. Well, it runs for that for that class. So I guess the, the performance benefit of using the annotation, from what I understand, and again, it's not something I daily use. I'm still using old methods. I'm just, it's just I haven't broken that habit yet, but is that it initializes the data for that class. So if you have an account that all your other test methods are going to rely on, because it's just some background information, every, maybe you're testing contacts, but you need a, an account to attach all those to. Okay. Then you should be able to set that up in this test method and it should only initialize that once, which you get a performance gain because you're not having to create an account for for your say your hundred test methods. Oh no! It it run. You get a new account every time, John. Again, this this is an important thing to remember. For each test method that's marked with is test. Okay. I'm not talking about is test. What are you talking about then? I'm talking about the at is. T- I'll read the documentation because I have it up. Uh, let's see. To create test records once and then access them in every test method in that class, test set methods can be time-saving when you need to create reference or prerequisite data for all test methods Ooh. or a common set of records that all test methods operate on. Now, that that, see, that this, is good and bad. Yeah, this, you, this violates some good testing practices. Right, here. right. Okay, I did not realize. Okay, so it only runs once, once for, right. for all the test methods in that class. Right. Oh, see, that's not good. Um that is, I'm, try, I'm not going to think of the name. It's in the category of brittle. This is a brittle test, but there are there are subgenres of in the ontology of of test uh, <laughs> test failure modes that uh, is somewhere within brittle tests. It would be um, I don't remember the name, but it's something to do with, for example, your test. This test, you know, setup creates an account with mm-hmm. a certain name. What if when your test runs, maybe it changes the name of the, that account that it. And then right. test two runs, and it's expecting an account with that with that name. Well, your test your test method number one <laughs> changed your test fixture, right? So now, if, I, if that's I think, the case, then I recommend not not using that. Not I think it depends on what level you're testing at. I mean, there, we have been on there are cases where, in order to test something from from a record perspective wise, 
it may be really low in the hierarchy of data, meaning there's maybe I have to create, you know, 10 different accounts and 10 different contacts and three opportunities, all with these, all these ver different variable states. And that all has to exist in order for me to test something on this one record that's really low down on the chain. And in order to do that, then I have to create, I have to set that up every time for each, each test method. Even though none of that information is changing, I really don't care about it. I just need to be able to attach this record to, to this hierarchy of data. And if I don't have everything in a row, everything in a, in a specific state, then I can't attach that record and test it. Yeah. Uh, so I think for cases like that, it can be beneficial, especially when we're talking about creating 10, 20, 30, 100 records to test with. I still think it's, it's dangerous to assume that previous tests that had access to that same exact test fixture did not change things that are, that are important. And they may not be important to you now, yeah. but as, this, as the system evolves and people, developers that come after you or whoever, um, as they're adding code and modifying tests and things, they're, eventually they're going to create a bug because they're gonna, they're gonna, something is going to mess with that, with that test fixture Mm -hmm. And then a subsequent class is or subsequent test method that runs is going to fail because it's expecting the test fixture to be in its pristine state. Right. So yeah, overall that's I mean, that's definitely on the, on everyone's list. So it's a risk versus practices. reward. I mean, you you, well, you well, gain some performance out of your testing because it's not having to load that data every and, time. And, and do we know that? Has that is that a measured performance improvement? It's 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 a feature that they're touting of why this exists, because you get that performance out of it. And yeah, again, as with like Einstein and all these numerous other things, it's it's touted, but there's zero proof, zero measurement that I've seen. I will tell you, in when I've looked at test performance in the past, something like 80 or 90% of the time in testing is not when my test classes are actually running. <coughs> It's Salesforce doing something before it starts running my test. And then after that test runs, it's doing something again that takes, again, 90% of the time. And then my next test runs, which takes a very small amount of time. Right. So it's all the stuff in between your tests that for some reason in Salesforce will take a really long time. I mean, it could be, you know, something to do with the fact that it's multi-tenant, you know, whatever. I don't know. But, yeah, actual test performance, it's actually like the tip of the iceberg. It's all the stuff under the water level that takes so long that is it's outside of the scope of any of our code or anything. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what it is. So yeah, you, I mean, even if this didn't marginally improve the performance of your actual test, that's actually such a small percentage of the t of the overall time that I'm, I'm I'm I mean, the benefit you get of that micro optimization totally to me is not worth the fact that your tests are now more brittle. You have you have yeah. you know. I, I think I think I can I think I understand that because I, I do have fair amount of testing of classes that that are essentially utility classes they their functionality isn't isn't based around dml operations or anything like that it's just basically running logic it'll calculate something or it'll transform some piece of data that that it got sent to it and and spit out something else and so you would think that that type of code would just execute in terms of test running my tests would execute much quicker than say something that's doing a bunch of dml which it kind of does but there is still a fair amount of lag where you start the test there's a few seconds where it's Spinning. It's not running your test at that. That's and, what, and then, yeah. and then all of a sudden, it, yeah. it, it responds. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know if there's any other benefits. I mean, I don't, honestly don't even understand what the what is the use case of that test setup. I think the the use the case that I mentioned. I think the, what the example I gave because I do have situations where it's tough to create a bunch of data and have to do that over and over. And I, I do create my own setup methods and call that for each each one of my methods. They're just basically static helper methods that 
that are redundant. It's the same code every time. I have to. I always have to have this account. I always have to have this opportunity. I always have to have this whatever. Mm-hmm. And and because that's repetitive, I don't do that in every one of my classes. I'll have another method that that gets called from each one of those classes. But you know, of course, that happens for each one. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, what I'll do is is I'll also pass back some kind of data structure that has references to all the data I created. So it's actually, it's a, it's a method and it's a utility and it passes back some kind of wrapper class that has a reference to everything so that I can use it in my tests and reference those things. Yeah, so you just so you don't have to query for them. After right, the exactly. Them. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. I, I should read up on that test setup to see if there's some other benefit, some some raison d'etre as the yeah. uh, as the uh, Frank. Maybe there's say. some killer feature that that goes. I, oh, you know I what? It's worth missing. being brittle. It's <laughs> yeah. worth it's worth the brittle. <laughs> that's a title right there. <laughs> it's worth being brittle. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's a good question. Are we so we're doing questions already, or was that just some random thing? That was it. Was kind of a topic, but it came off of there. It wasn't one of the questions that we got through our email. I'm sure one of these smart smarty pants will. Uh, Correct us and provide the acronym, for, which we will we will gladly share as follow up in our next episode. <laughs> um, so, did you see that uh, Google um, with with their Chrome Internet browser? You familiar with Internet browsers, John? Internet browsers? Yeah. You mean the little the little E with the swoosh? <laughs> That's it. It's the yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, now, uh, Chrome announced a. I don't know if it was you know a, a totally new thing or just a new. Uh, Feature set of their of enterprise some kind of Chrome enterprise service, huh. but they specifically um, ha- support Salesforce. So if you get if you buy Chrome and there's a fee to it, you know, and so there's a lot of other stuff to it besides supporting. And actually, there's a whole list of softwares or services that they that they support if mm-hmm. you buy Chrome Enterprise. But it also there's all kinds of because in enterprise the big thing is like provisioning and like deploying the. You know Chrome itself, and then all its updates, and controlling that and locking it down. Right. So it's, you get all that, but also they're specifically supporting like Salesforce and a bunch of you know, I don't remember what the other ones were. So like ex- extension plugins or just no 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 I don't think it's a I don't think it's any or kind just of making sure that Salesforce like, is is like a favorite or. It, the, the, so this is what I I actually went to their website and tried to I was curious I was like oh what is you know how what are they doing to support Salesforce and it does list Salesforce on their. On this thing, but it doesn't say what it means by supported. I just think it hmm. means that they must have just they must have just talked to each of these companies that they support and said, "Hey, we're going to like officially this will be good for both of us. We're going to you know Google calls Salesforce and say hey, we're going we're going to officially support or say we support Salesforce just because that makes our customers feel better and it also gives them another reason to buy this you know enterprise service from us." Um, so uh, well, let's open up a tech channel here between our two companies so that if, if we do start getting reports of, hey, something's wrong with Salesforce and Chrome, we can reach right to your you know, level mm. three tech or whatever it is, maybe a dedicated teams, and we can help each other you know, work this out. It's mutually beneficial for both of us. Yeah. And, and I don't know if that's what that is. It's just they, they officially support Salesforce. So I'm just like, well, isn't Salesforce a standards compliant web application? Aren't we beyond? <laughs> aren't, we, aren't we beyond like, you know, this motherboard supports this video card. I mean, I thought we were, I thought it was standards-based and like, it's a web app. Shouldn't it work in? <laughs> it should. Yeah. I, I think, this, this, Although, does that not strike you as just one of these things like uh, Google's like, hey, enterprise companies, you want to give us money because you want support. Like, they have to have support, right? Yeah. So they, they want to give you, they want, you want to give us money so we'll build these deployment features in for you and we'll officially support these apps, even though support actually means almost nothing because 
Yeah, it could just be like, like you said, if, if someone has a question or something weird is happening with Salesforce, that, that somehow that will get them through to some higher level support. But it seems to me it would need to be bilateral. Not only can Google call Salesforce and say, hey, you know, we think you've got a problem. You, you've, you've got a bug that is affecting our customers. Mm-hmm. It's probably affecting others too, but specifically, specifically affecting ours. But also I think Salesforce would have uh, like priority access to log Chrome bugs and say, hey, um, you, you, this is like totally rendering different on your browser. This is one thing that's not working. We think this is why. And here's a bug report. And, you know, they they get mutual ex- escalation, basically. So is, do you think it's kind of mutually beneficial, even if it means nothing more than just, say, a dotted line on, on the support line that that Salesforce is a logo on there, which is a big company. And for Salesforce, it's, a, it, it's also an advertisement that say, hey, get Salesforce. It's supported with your Chrome. Basically, I don't think there's anything there. I don't think this, I think it's a nothing burger. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is so weird. The only thing, the, I did come across an, an issue today, actually. Uh, it, I think it's a squid issue. I, I logged a, a bug, but I haven't gotten feedback yet on what exactly it is. But I noticed that on a screen that had previously been working, all of a sudden I was getting issues and it was only happening in Chrome. I, I launched uh, Safari. I didn't try IE, maybe I should have, but I was getting some weird um, local storage issue. And for some reason, the local storage was getting the quota was getting exceeded, at least that's what the error oh. was. So, and as far as I can tell, that's kind of a locked in thing. Like there's, there's only so much you can put into a cookie or local storage. And once you fill it up, you're done. So I think there's probably a bug that's kind of overriding to the, to the cookie file that's uh, causing that. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Weird. Maybe by officially support Salesforce can get their uh, cash upped. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. If it's from a Salesforce.com domain, then yeah. you get, instead of 50 megabytes, you get one million. the whole hard drive. <laughs> <laughs> um, my only real topic, actually, uh, I was looking through my potential topics and I just I pretty much eliminated them all, except for one, which yeah. goes back to Texas Dreaming. Right after your session that I that I was in, which was the, um, uh, it, was, it was the Lightning... My topic? Yeah, yeah. The Lightning Design System? Yeah. Using the Lightning Design System, right. yeah. <clears throat> and you and I were just talking afterwards and I was like, hey, you know, because I and I have not <laughs> newsflash, I haven't paid that much attention to Lightning. <laughs> but I'm looking at your codes and uh, I noticed that, you know, a lot of this, and I think a lot of it was just, uh, I guess it was you using Lightning, but a lot Lightning design. But I was like, hey, that looks, the the just going based on the CSS, like which class names were used and how many class CSS class names were used. Mm-hmm. It's like, that looks very BIM-like. Right. And then that's when you said, yeah, that Salesforce even says like we use kind of a, you know, our own BIM. It's BIM, but they modify it with a namespace. Which slim? Salesforce Lightning BIM. BIM? Uh, no. See, I think you still need the whole BIM because it's an acronym. It's BIM. It's BIM. I don't know. But I just want to talk to you briefly about BIM. I'm, I'm guessing BIM is one of those things that some people probably, some developers probably know about and others just are like blissfully probably yeah. just don't give a crap. It's more just a kind of like a standard naming convention, almost like a, I don't, I don't want to call it a best practice, but it's, it's trying to be, it's trying to, because when, when you design well, let's, classes... Let's say what it is, first of all. Well, I'm going to go to their definition. So BIM, BIM stands for Block, block element, element Modifier. modifier right? Yeah. Which is such, such a creative name, but that's... <laughs> those are the three big pillars of BIM. Right. Okay, they have a better word for it. Methodology. Okay. So it's a methodology that helps you to create reasonable components in code sharing and front-end development. But really, it's just, it's just a way to kind of name things in a way that leads towards things that make sense. So you have a block and you have an element and then you have a modifier for that. So instead of creating, you know, uh, header red, you would just have header and then you would have a modifier for that or something like that. 
Okay, so that <clears throat> that last part you just mentioned, that's kind of a practice that I, I think I kind of adopted a while back, um, which is I try to keep the, any of the visual aspects out of my CSS class name. So I try not to have something called like red header or um, big image or something like that. Yeah, and that, well, that you would know, black that, border. Yeah, that would be red is probably not a good example, but I mean concepts like small, medium, large are concepts. Is, you know, especially when you're talking about responsiveness and and things like that. You know, you could say I want I want a, a padding and I want the padding to be big here or I want it to be large. And so that your modifier would be large versus I want it to be yeah four picks or, or I mean, two times two or something. Some of these systems even have you can do like PD dash twenty. Or PD dash R dash twenty, right? And that class name represents padding a right padding of twenty. Like right. this is ridiculous. Which is, which I mean, is this not is what just they in, this is just BIM. inline right. CSS, right? Right. <laughs> no, that's not yeah, exactly. That's not that's not BIM. So at all. BIM is trying to trying to avoid that kind of stuff where you're actually doing things like P twenty. Yeah, because you lose flexibility, and also in the world of responsiveness, twenty doesn't mean anything anymore because now we're trying to scale based on resolution or screen size, rims and M's. That's right. And I don't even I don't even want to get into when you should reuse rims and when you should. We should talk about that, just not today. <laughs> <laughs> I need to bone up on that because for a while there, I was really into rim versus m, and I I felt like I had a good handle on it. And then something changed my mind about how it was being used, and I was like, I'll oh, screw it. I don't know anything now. You've had, you've had too much alcohol <laughs> since then. <laughs> um. Anyway, no, I, I kind of wanted to get. I, I mean, I've I've done I think BIM or similar things to BIM. You know, there's there's Oh, there's uh, what like Smacks and OO CSS, and I'm not yeah. sure. Like, I think some of these overlap, and some of them have different, slightly different concepts. But I kind of wanted to get your your take on it, um, which I guess that's it. Well, I, I I like it, and in fact, Bam, I gravitated to a long time ago, not too long ago, maybe six months to a year. It was it was before Salesforce was even using it. I just kind of noticed, it's like you, the syntax, and I was like, that looks familiar. And then and then I read their documentation. I was like, oh, that is Bam. Um, I didn't recognize it at first because it had it had the namespace in it, and you, you don't n- normally have namespaces. Well, of course, Salesforce is unique because they're trying to namespace things to avoid collisions. But yeah, Salesforce, normally Salesforce you have is such a snowflake. They're so well, unique. <laughs> no, just normally you have a, a site and you've built it, so you're not trying to avoid collisions with yourself. If you're trying to avoid collisions with yourself, then you're doing something wrong. Well, I do see the doctor for that issue, particular issue, but that's a whole separate topic. <laughs> You just have to take it somewhere, well, don't you? So I know. Well, so, sorry, that's me. <laughs> Again, it's, another it's, newsflash. This this is not the most serious podcast in the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do like it. I do find that it's tough, though. It's it's tough because you know I don't always know ahead of time how my CSS is going to play out. So just like with anything else, when you're naming your code, you're naming your functions, you have to be willing to go in and refactor them. And you have to go be willing to go in and change the name and then go change it everywhere else because uh, because the name is so important. It puts so much importance on what that name means. Now, future you will thank you for for having that diligence, but at the time, it's going to make you a little bit slower. It's going to make you sit and spend like five, ten minutes thinking about how I'm going to name this, what's the right way to name this, what are my potential modifiers for this that I'm going to need. It, it does increase the scope of work and, and the amount of brain power needed to do it other than just saying, I need a tag, this is for header, and then just styling it based on header and then doing all your kind of child selections after that. This requires something more thoughtful. Um, but, you know, maintenance-wise and, and future, you might thank you for it. I, I think it might be argued that you should you should be thinking about 
your markup and your CSS strategy anyway, <laughs> instead of just like dumping whatever comes to mind at, at that point. <laughs> you know, um, well, sometimes you're in a prototype phase and you're just trying to get it in there. Well, that's different. That's yeah. different. I mean, hell, for prototypes, I'll I've got a little setup. It's just it's like a uh, a vanilla thing that's got Bootstrap and and J and uh, jQuery, mm-hmm. and I'll just do some quick prototype stuff. And well, I I use the term prototype loosely because I have some clients that really like to see things early than later because they give me really vague requirements and they want to see what I come up with. That's what I call a good client. (laughs) Seriously. And so I do end up taking it past what what would be a traditionally wireframe prototyping phase into an actual almost build. Uh, I'm going to start charging you a dollar for every (laughs) scare quote you do because you're you're over there. (laughs) I know. We need video, don't we? Yeah, we do. (laughs) Where's the damn bell? You have the bell over there. That's right here. I need to, I'm going to, here, give it to me. Okay. I can't reach. There you right, you're gonna get you're gonna get one of these for every scare quote. <laughs> we don't use the bell enough. I know. We keep forget I forget. Well, you didn't want to because we have neighbors in this. On well, this floor now our now. neighbors are they're not they're not here anymore, are they? They're here. Okay. She's never here. I just don't want to like bang on it. Yeah. So um, so okay, so uh, here's my take on it. Uh CSS has this thing you may have heard of called the the cascade. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, probably the least understood aspect of CSS, and in in kind of or maybe arguably the least interesting aspect of CSS, but it's it's one of the most um, hmm, oh gosh lamented maybe aspect of CSS because in uh, I would say in sloppy sloppierly designed. Slop. Sloppily designed CSS. Slopperly. You know, you you run into this problem. And you're like, oh my god, why is this? Why does this thing have this size of text or what or whatever? You know, why does it have this certain property style property? I can't figure out why. Well, and that's when you have to start figuring it out. You have to start looking at the cascade and all the things that could be causing a certain element. Which, right? which modern browsers make that much easier to discover. They do if. They do. You're right. I mean, some of the tooling on these browsers yeah. is just really good. It still can be, you can still be staring at that dev mode for like an hour going, what the hell? Especially when you've got a, if it's out of things out of your control, a bunch of third party libraries that may be lo- loaded in yeah. there. Um, it can be very difficult. I think what BIM tries to do is basically eliminate the cascade. If you do BIM right, you don't have a cascade. That's true. I mean, everything's pretty much the whole point defined. of BIM is, is a block. Right, w- will never be influenced by the block that it's in. Right, except for, except for inheritance. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that <laughs> much is true. <laughs> Which you can't but do but inheritance about. isn't 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 bad. No, it's not. It just and it, even I'm cascade not, isn't isn't inherently bad. No, it's just I'm, I might argue with you on that. I mean, think of think of how many bugs and problems the cascade, along with its specificity, has caused. It's really confusing. I mean, just to figure out like why why something's happening or why you're just getting some private, why it's not, you have to start figuring, oh crap, well, let me figure out the specificity of the, this particular class on this element and then, or on this, you know, what, actually it would be, I guess, a selector. The specificity, mm-hmm. specificity of selectors. And you have to figure out, you have to, you have to run the math on each one to figure out what the, who, which one has the highest number and why that may be affecting. It's really, I mean, I understand why they did it, but I think specificity is one of the most over-engineered things on the web today. And it's and and BIM takes the approach, and many of these things do. Of yeah, it's powerful, and it may be good if you have some superhuman brain. But for mm-hmm. most mortals, let's eliminate the cascade because yeah. it does far more harm than it does. We'd rather have some 
uh, duplicative CSS. Right. Because that's fine. Because there's a thing called gzip and it all gets kind of squashed down and any duplicate things turn into just like one bit anyway. So right. let's just, we're fine with, and, and especially when you combine um, BIM with things like, like SAS. SAS yeah, yeah, because SAS added, um, I think years ago, I'm not sure. There, you know, the little ampersand operator thingy that lets you mm-hmm. like, so they specifically added, I think it was for things like BIM, but you can now form like the whole, like the the, the block element modifier, like that class name that you create. Mm-hmm. You can actually piece that together from using that ampersand thing. So you actually mm-hmm. end up with really nice SAS that goes right along with your BIM components. And also, when you were talking about, I just wanted to pop, pop, or revisit this. You were talking about how you have to sit down and think about your style a little bit more. Right. And I would argue that if you were thinking about your style sufficiently anyway, you're not thinking about it more with BIM. You're just using a different technique or a named technique or an official system. You're, you know, you should have been thinking about that anyway. But with BIM, it really, you, it really makes you think of things in terms of, you, you'll think about a, a, an interface more in terms of its components than you do uh, as a, just a bunch of elements on the screen. You really have to figure out what are the components, where are the blo- what are the blocks, yeah, and that, what are the independent I modules. I think that's the that, kind of thinking that I was talking about. Is, is you're really trying to component figure out where the line is for that component. Is is my header my component, or is is my header just a, a container block, and my component is the title and whatever buttons or navigation I have? Or is the header... Is my header component included inclusive of navigation? I mean, it's all those little details of where do you draw the line of the component? Where do you draw the line of granularity? And it, and you have to really think about in order to answer those questions, like where do I draw the line on what is in this component, or how big, or how granular do I get for components? Right. It really is to me. It's about well, what's what could possibly be reused in a, in a what could which of these things could be useful in another context? If this if if some element and its sub elements are just married to the context they're in, and they're never going to be, it makes no sense to ever, there's no, you can reasonably conceptualize this in another place, then it's really actually the block is its parent. Mm-hmm. Because this is this is one thing that I think people get confused about. I, I certainly do sometimes. Um, it's confusing because a block, you know, it's called block element modifier. So you right. think, you know, block's a top-level element, and then within the block you have elements. But an element could be other other components. Other, yeah, exactly. Other, I won't even say components because I don't mean it in terms of a whole nother like BIM component. But you could have, like your top level block could be a div and that div could contain many nested divs, like a whole hierarchy of divs that are all elements. Now, the way you name those class-wise, BIM wants you to have a flattened structure. So there may be a div that's three levels deep, but the class name you give that or its its name in the in the BIM name, mm-hmm. um, they want it to be linear. So you actually don't include its parents, only that ultimate BIM. Right, and that's important because I, I think oftentimes with CSS is we try to say header, navigation, uh, link. Yes. And or, that's when we start screwing ourselves. Right, exactly. Because you end up with this really dependent chain and these, you know, you, you start to, if like you know, let's say if you have like header and nav, Nav item. Well, what right. happens on when you have on, on another part of your site? Maybe there's a side. You add a sidebar that's got some nav, and you call it nav item. Well, the nav item from your from that first screen is, is going to bleed into that, and because you, you didn't think about that, or maybe it won't because it's not in the header block. Maybe you want the style exactly, and, and it's, but, but it's not it's not going right. to be available. Right. Whereas, and and you know, I guess one downside of BIM is you don't have with long CSS names, but you do as with programming. 
I am fine with. I'd rather have a long name <laughs> than a name that's too short that you don't know what it means. That it doesn't say what it does. Yeah, some some of the pro- it does get wordy. I, I will say that because it does. no, absolutely. Especially yeah. when you're trying to stay responsive and let CSS handle that. It like if you if you have a component, but you don't want it to to determine what the padding is or the margin is. So you have another CSS or you have another BEM tag that that handles that. So now you have your your block, your 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 what is it your your block modifier your block element modifier and then you have your block element modifier it's not even a, it's not even a modifier it's, it's just this whole new thing like that that was kind of tough for me to kind of wrap my brain around because when you try to apply um padding just some arbitrary padding mm-hmm. it kind of follows the the block the 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 bam model I, I can't i can't say that over and over every time you say the bam model over and over it, it's how do I say this? So the way Salesforce did it is whenever you want to add padding, it's um, it's SLDS-P-the-size. And that's that anti-pattern we were talking about. Right, earlier. so yeah. the, the P all these sits in classes. place of the block. So the, so the padding, the, the style, becomes the block, which is weird in the BIM syntax. And then it goes on to, you know, modifier after that. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, this, I was talking about how uh, I'll, I'll, do, you know, quickly bootstrap or, or just do a, a prototype level thing. That's, I just start out with kind of a plain bootstrap and and jQuery type of setup. <clears throat> and I, I may have like in the CSS I'm creating just for this. I may have like I may you may see me using a lot of just the bootstrap, um, the bootstrap names and utility mm-hmm. classes and things like that. But with with things like SAS, um, regardless of I think of whether you're you know doing like something like BIM or not, you can you can over time actually start replacing those those Bootstrap CSS classes with more semantic CSS class names. What and again, let's say you're using BIM, you don't have mm-hmm. to be, but you certainly can um, BIM things. And then you can go in in your SAS file and you can define when you define that BIM class. You can do an. Uh, I'd say it's not. You wouldn't want to include. You want to do an extend. Extends um, pull dash right. Right. For example, if you wanted, if you wanted that, you know, your own semantic thing to include Bootstrap's pull dash right, then you just say, hey, this extends pull dash right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, your SAS file, you're basically inheriting from Bootstrap in a way. You're mixing Bootstrap in, but your markup, you can have markup that eventually is Bootstrap free. Which is great because then you can, over time, I think what tends to happen is if this turns into a real product and, you know, you get the green light and you're building out everything, eventually you'll just, you won't even have Bootstrap anymore. I mean, you mm-hmm. should really understand, I mean, you probably don't need all of Bootstrap. It's, bootstrap is super bloated. Um, and you'll just, over time, you'll, you'll instead of, you'll go to these places that are like include, or, you know, include poll right or whatever, and you'll either define your own poll right or you'll just, you, you get to where, you, you know, you're basically working yourself, you're working your way out of all those Bootstrap utility classes. Mm-hmm. That's just I don't know some something I do sometimes because I don't I don't know like I said bootstrap I mean you know think of the name it's to bootstrap the app it's not to forever depend on it and and use it as is right I mean that's why bootstrap comes with the uncompiled SAS and 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 I think they it's less too that in fact I think they had less before they ever had SAS yeah so you're less or SAS it comes with all the uncompiled stuff so that you can get at all the individual bits and shield your actual markup from bootstrap right. And then eventually you can uh, you can either wean yourself off of Bootstrap or you, maybe you can get down to a, a very small subset of Bootstrap. <coughs> anyway, yeah, and like I said, you know, there's there's all these other competing ideas. 
but I'm not. I'm no. I'm no CSS wizard. I don't. I. I, I know there's probably people out there who are because that, that's their entire job. But uh, it's it's tough to keep a handle on. Yeah, if I feel like if I could do front end stuff all day, I would probably. Yeah. I'd have a much stronger opinion on one versus the other, and how do you how you mix them? Yeah. Anyway, I feel like uh, we should talk about this beer. So I was going to say, I think this is so, a good uh, point to this is a bring up this beer. beer. Uh, and this is I got this on Saturday, the brewery, the brewery touring day that you didn't get to go on because you didn't feel well in Austin. You just keep rubbing that in, don't no, you? No, but but I brought you a taste of Austin. I'm not trying to rub it in. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to uh, make up for the fact that you didn't get to go. So, I, I appreciate it. So this is from Pint House Pizza. Which is a pizza? Uh, uh, there's there's two locations in yeah. Austin, kind of one south of downtown, and then one a little bit north. Was the pizza good? The pizza's pretty mm-hmm. good, but they're known for their beer. I mean, there's people up here in Dallas that you know people. Are always, you drink enough beer, you don't care what the pizza tastes like. Pretty much, <laughs> <laughs> or you're so full from beer that you can't you oh, can't yeah. put any actual food in your stomach. <laughs> that doesn't happen with me. <laughs> really, it does with me. No, if, if I if I get a little tipsy, I I it just I, my hunger grows with with the drunker I get. Or if I ever wanted to drink less. I, I would just eat more. Unfortunately, I'd, I'd get fatter, but because I can't, I can't drink beer when I'm full or I've had like food anyway. Uh, but no, I think they're more known for their beer than their than their pizza, though. Because I know, I mean, there are there's a huge demand up here. People are always you know, driving to Austin, buying a bunch of these crowlers, which for people don't know are like these 32 ounce cans that they fill. Yeah, this whole on crowler site. thing's new to me. I never really heard of crowlers until you had one bust in here. Oh, was it a crowler that busted? No, that was a no that busted. Oh, no, that the, was that bottle. Yeah, that was. A, you had a, yeah. Never mind. You 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 had a crowler delivered here, and I that was the first I heard of it. Okay, but you know, people are always bringing them up to Dallas and trading them and selling them and whatever. But uh, no, they're they're really well known for these, and they make this is kind of a, I guess it would be like a New England style IPA or Northeast IPA, whatever the hell it stands for. But it's called uh, Horn Puncher. <laughs> Horn Puncher. And yeah, it's definitely it's definitely this uh, juicy style IPA. Would you agree with that characterization? I think so. Let's see, horn. I can't say I'm I'm an expert beer. in that, but yeah. It's got this nice orange. Even looks or, like orange juice, almost yeah. nice orange color to it. Let's see, beer advocate, horn puncher, six point three percent. So that's not a single IPA. That's yeah, sure does pack a lot of flavor for six percent. <sighs> Yum. <clears throat> All right. Well, that was my. That was my only topic. Let's, you want to, what do we do in next question? I have, I have, a, I have a topic for you, or but I want to read the title of this okay. topic and I want you to tell me what you think this is about. Because I, I read this and I got excited and it turns out I was wrong. Okay. Uh, AWS signs Java father James Gosling. They signed him. They signed him. They cryptographically signed him. Well, signed he's, him. he's on the employee now. Yeah. So he's employed by AWS. Now, in your fantastical imagination, what could you think he would be doing there at AWS? Well, he could be just a like almost like an engineering leader, like a leadership role. Um, he could be doing, you know, work on some custom JVM they run. I was kind of hoping, at least my, when I read it, I was like, huh, maybe they're going to get into the uh, compiling of code uh, game and uh, come up with some kind of platform, you know, some kind of cloud platform <laughs> where you could oh. compile code. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, but, so what is it? I, I, saw, I think I saw that news, but I, I didn't read. I didn't read anything on what he was planning on doing. It's not really confirmed what he's going to be doing there. But uh, his, in his previous life, he was doing some kind of um, working at Liquid Robotics. I think it said, and he was doing some IoT stuff. And so the 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 I guess the rumor, or at least what they believe, is that he's there to continue to advance some kind of AWS IoT platform. 
because he said in his previous company, they had to basically make their own cloud because none of the other clouds would do what they needed to do to support the, the type of IoT that they were doing. So they basically had to create their own. And so from that experience, I think he's going to AWS and probably to help them build out their platform a little bit more, they can help and support these these things. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's a huge name in the... He's up there with, <clears throat> yeah. What's the uh, same, An- Anders Halsberg at Microsoft, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he. Uh, let's see, Gosling was, I guess, one of the three three guys that get credited for you know inventing Java and, mm-hmm. at Sun Microsystems. Uh, quick uh, quiz for you, John. Uh oh. What was what was Java's first name before they actually named it Java? Uh, coffee. <laughs> no. Oak. Oak. Yeah, supposedly there was like some oak tree right outside their their office there, and but yeah, they called it oak, and until mm. they probably realized they couldn't trademark that or something. I don't know. I've always been curious about the why the Java. I, I just imagine they just were drinking a ton of coffee, building this thing, and decided to call it Java. You know, I, I don't know why, but it's one of those names that actually makes a lot of sense because there are so many Java related names, you know, mocha and uh, espresso and cappuccino and 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 I mean, there's and. In fact, all those things I just mentioned are actually names of little of, of I know. products that in, in the Java, and there was like something called Ice Latte, which is which I think was an open source implementation of the Java runtime, and like there's all these you know ancillary well, it's, names it's, that can that you can use for other things. Yeah, in the it ecosystem. seems like I want to say it almost seems like, and I don't have any other examples, but I remember thinking about this at one point in time, thinking that the reason they picked it was because there were so many things you could lead off it. Like when you have Java, you have beans and those beans are are granular representations of this bigger thing. And you take these beans and you make this bigger thing. And so it seemed to me like that was the train of thought at the time. Yeah. Well, because in in that, you know, I think it was in Java 1.2 when they added the notion of a Java bean, which was basically just a kind of a conventional component model. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's uh, gives you a lot of opportunity, naming opportunity. Yeah. Well, we'll have to do a follow-up on him later and figure out what the hell he plans on doing there. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Well, you want to get to some questions then since we're yeah, let's do questions. done with our topics? Uh, let's see. You know, I want to get into this one really quick. I'm not sure if this is going to turn into a bigger topic, but um, one of someone from Slack posted about the AppExchange Partner Program, and I think we talked a little bit about that last time as well. Didn't Didn't we talk about them changing... The the terms or something like that. Well, they yeah they they made a big announcement where they, yeah they they added some new stuff to the program and reduced the fees and made stuff easier. They have a new onboarding program which does something makes it easier to get an app on the App Exchange. I would I would guess. I, I think they're trying to get more titles on the App Exchange. Yeah. Um. So so one of the one of our listeners. Um. I can't say the name, and I'm going to try to paraphrase a lot of this because it. I believe they're in ISV and they have some inside knowledge or at least know a lot of people in the ISV community. Um, so I don't want to really give out too much, but some of the feedback we got kind of the seemed interesting and um, in that it's trying to clarify much like we do past the marketing and what that actually means. Um, I'll, I'll, par- I'll read these two paragraphs and then I'll try to paraphrase the rest. Uh, it says, I've talked to a number of ISV partners and they seem happy with the lowering of the rev share. So I guess there's some changes to the to the revenue sharing. Why why would ISVs not be happy with that? I mean, of course they're happy with that. They get to keep more of their money, right? Well, so I think Yeah, I, yeah. It's like a big tax cut. So so apparently it is an increase in rev share. Um however, actually let me let me skip to this one part because I'm I feel like I'm gonna give away too much if I read this one part. 
Uh, if you look carefully at the announcement, whenever Salesforce refers to 15%, they always uh, use the word baseline in there somewhere. So it's a baseline 15% rate. So I guess we're talking about the revenue sharing percentage, meaning that when what they really did was change the rev share from a maximum of 25% to a minimum of 15%. And a minimum of 15% includes 20, 25, and even 30 or higher. So it sounds like even though they changed the terms in terms of revenue share saying... It, it's an increase of revenue share for the for those developing, meaning it's fifteen percent cut to Salesforce. It's a if you read the wording carefully, it can scale you didn't, up you didn't much higher. Me. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's it's actually a base minimum. So depending on you know whatever factors, and I don't I don't know. Oh, if that's you need known. record types in your app. Okay, that's <laughs> that's another ten percent. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> so I'm not sure exactly what's going to factor into what percentage they charge you, and it doesn't sound should, like there's a lot of information charge like on forty percent for process builders. so so yeah i mean of course this is all coming third party to us in terms of what this means but it it does sound like while they did kind of modify it and and make it more appealing in terms of marketing to app exchange partners and and those that are building things on salesforce and are are participating in the revenue sharing model that um there is some fine print that you do have to be careful of and and make sure you read and 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 take into consideration i should say read those contracts (laughs) There's probably some interesting stuff in there. And try to find the SLA. I challenge you. The, the SLA. Yeah. That, that's, I mean, we, we, I don't know, we talk about that all the time about, you know, you're basically in Salesforce's sandbox and they can change the rules. And I, I think there was even some, some anecdotes in this response that we got um, that said that some, that Salesforce is in some cases strong arming people, even though they have a, an active contract. No. An active contract to, to, that, to try to change the rate. Salesforce is all about mindfulness and happiness and dreams. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just telling you what people are telling me. Come on. Take it take it for what it's worth. I, I'm just telling you what people are telling me. I do not believe. That, that's that's good. Remain skeptical, <laughs> my, my son. <clears throat> uh, Trailblazer Awards. Uh, this is This is pretty funny. Trailblazer Awards? Trailblazer Awards. Okay. So, so my understanding of this is that Salesforce wants you to tell us all the great things you're doing with Salesforce. And and for me, because I'm so I'm on the cynical side of things, I see it as uh we need some publication we need to advertise some people and yeah, some real world stories. Um, ca- uh, ca- uh, Case studies. Case studies, yeah. Case studies. Yeah, but they wrapped it in this this kind of like contest, like, you know, be a trail. It's it's awesome marketing, I got to say. I mean, Salesforce, they took this one thing, like we need case studies and turned it into this trailblazer award. What sounds better to you? What what gives you the little, the little goosebumps? We need case studies. Jeremy, would you like to be a case study? Or would you like to be one of our trailblazers who gets an award at Dreamforce? I'll tell you what, Salesforce wins the psychology award of the century, don't they? They do. Oh my gosh. However, I will say, and I don't know if these are listed in order of of ideal prizes or if they're all inclusive or what, but here's here's it here, here's what you can win according to their website. Free passes to Dreamforce for up to five team members. That's worth like 80 grand, right? <laughs> no, passes to Dreamforce. That's just the pass. I know, I'm saying. Doesn't, does, is, what does Dreamforce cost? Like uh, 2000 a yeah, ticket or something? Like a couple grand, yeah. I'm exaggerating. So, but, about so 10, 10 grand, yeah. Now, that's listed first. Now, here's what's listed second, and I think this is the, the bigger prize. Hotel accommodations for up to five team members. That's big. That's big. Well. I don't know. That, those hotel prices are pretty, pretty You're looking pretty at hefty. at least, I mean, cheapest possible <laughs> ever would be 500 bucks per night for a hotel room. Any, anywhere around that area. Yeah, and Dreamforce for, is a week, right? I mean, it's what, five days, four days? And it may be closer to 1,000, but I mean, 
I guarantee you won't find something less than 500, right? So, yeah, so that would be, you know, five nights. Is it five nights? 2,500 bucks per room? Yeah. I think that's the bigger price. Yeah. Uh, you could also win a UX, UX a user experience workshop with Salesforce, with the Salesforce user experience team. I have a hard time saying UX. I want to say user experience. It just sounds better. Uh, you can also win an opportunity to share their stories at Dreamforce so you can get up on stage and tell your story. Mm. Uh, or you can get VIP seating at the Dreamforce keynote. And this is if they pick your case study, right? Right, yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, get out there and, and give them your case yeah, studies. Do, do a case study for us and we'll give, you, we'll give you some stuff that doesn't cost us a, a dime, basically. I'll let you get on stage <laughs> and we won't charge you to walk in the room. Yeah, there are some official rules, and of course, you got to sign away a bunch of legalese stuff. Oh, so, yeah. so you have to get your your PR team involved. So, keep that in mind. But yeah, I, I got to hand it to them. I mean, oh, they're they're masters. Yeah, of they're, they're, they're they're masters. I I give them that. I mean, do, how many how many would you just guess? We don't. There's not going to be no way to validate this. But how many you know PhDs in psychology do you think Salesforce employs? Oh, I don't know. Oh, it's got to be an army of them. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Their marketing team is just on point, I think. Uh, so um, th- here's another question. And honestly, I think their competitors could learn something from this. I mean, they are absolutely, you know, running laps around their competitors in terms of the PR and marketing uh, game. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, you take something that's, that's somewhat common and mundane and you turn it into this, like, the celebration. That's, that's awesome. All right. So I'm going to turn this question from our community into an Ask Jeremy. Because uh, I think you have more experience and knowledge on this, so we'll see what you come up with. Okay. Uh, this is this will be anonymous. Yes, anonymous. Uh, how would you describe story points and how are they used and how they are used in ad, in an agile project? Are they equivalent to the length of time hours a story or task will take to complete? Yeah, so the, <clears throat> this is a a more scr- on the Scrum side of or in the Scrum corner of the agile room. I'm sure there's other methodologies that use this use it too. It's just a it's a unit of measurement for estimating how long something will take. And you you score stories uh, in basically relative to other stories. So, you know, if if story A is you say, okay, that's gonna be two story points. Mm-hmm. If story B seems twice as big, that's four story points. Now, the reason that we just don't just come out and say that's four hours and that's eight hours is because a lot of it depends on your... And you're saying story points are equivalent to hours? No, I'm saying they're not. Okay, in okay. fact, Scrum goes to uncomfortable, awkward links to, to, you know, to keep hours and story points separate. Because Scrum wants a story point to be independent of how much time it takes, how much effort it takes, because they want you to, after every, what do they call it, sprint, mm-hmm. they want you to calculate your, your sprint velocity and that velocity is actually used going forward to determine how big a point actually is. And so it, it takes into account like how your team thinks of points. It's really how the, what's the psychology of the team? How do they think of a point? When mm-hmm. you t- you know if you give a a small story to the team and they say that's four points, okay, well that that team they call that four. Another team would look at that same story and maybe they call it eight points. It's just how they think about it. But if you if you look at how many points went into a because when you start a sprint, you're like, okay, this there's 80 points in the sprint. And if it takes them X amount of time, then you know you can you can do the math, it's just the division there on the number of points versus how long it took. And that's based taking into account like did, the, did you get done early? Did you did you not actually get finished with the sprint? And so you you end up with that velocity number that's that's used to plug into your next sprint planning session. Now, I think this is 
because I and I've done this and I kind of bought into it for a while. I've used this on real teams, and I kind of don't buy into the um, to story Point planning anymore. In fact, or yeah, into into story points. And and I actually don't buy into a lot of Scrum. Now I think you know every team is different, and and team size has a lot to do with it, and your organization has a lot to do with it. But overall, I think um, Scrum is uh, in some ways is too prescriptive, and in other ways, it's not prescriptive enough. It really Scrum doesn't. There's no meat to Scrum when it comes to um, practices on actual technical practices. It's really all about. This kind of framework, and when they probably, and I'm sure the Scrum people will say that's a good thing. I mean, you can you can definitely do Scrum well, mm-hmm. and as with any of these things, it's actually what your success is way more about your team and the individuals on your team than it is about whatever process you use. But to me, Scrum just came out being a little too. I mean, it's, it, well, I think Scrum is very ceremonial. It's too much ceremony for me. And, and story, and story point, candles and story and points is just a sh- all that kind of stuff. Story and shrouds. Point, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there's that, the whole thing with a goat. You know, it just <laughs> got a little awkward there for a while. But no, it's just it's too ceremonial, and um, it's it seems to me it seems a little heavyweight. Now, ten years ago, that would have sounded ridiculous. Nowadays, people use really lightweight processes, and and in fact, with with like the um, you know like the single piece flow, and what, what do we call that nowadays in software? Um, where you, do, you don't you don't even have iterations. Uh, it just it's uh, oh gosh, yeah, someone will think it. Someone will tell me. Uh, I'll think of it as I'm soon as we stop think. recording. There's a term for it. basically. You're not even you're, you're it's your continuous continuous de- uh, deployment. I mean, yeah, continuous deployment. Yeah, that, I think that's what I'm thinking of. You you, not, you don't break things up into spread. I mean, just basically when it's done, deploy. It, it depends on what type of software you're doing. What how mission critical it is and all that. You know, is someone going to die if you if you get a bug or if it, are they just talking to be able to watch the movie they wanted to watch tonight. Um, some guys go, and you know some of these some of these teams go. I mean, as soon as it's committed, uh, and, you know, Etsy is a good example of this. They're kind of famous for this type of thing. As soon as someone pushes a commit, it basically goes into production. Now they have all kinds of stuff uh, in their in their infrastructure that you know a certain number of nodes will get you know a commit first, and then there's they have all kinds of fancy monitoring which we don't have in the Salesforce world that they can they'll start getting metrics if something was wrong with that. Hmm. And it just slowly, um, these are also kind of, goes back to like, you know, uh, blue-green deployments and things like that. Um, but it'll slowly, the, the load balancers slowly start um, lighting up uh, nodes with the, new, with the new version of that, you know. But yeah, Etsy, uh, they, you know, they say they, they push to production hundreds of times per day. I think I heard that Facebook and how does do you, something and how similar And how do you do Scrum well? in that environment? I mean, Scrum would be a joke yeah. in that environment. Yeah. That was a long answer to a... Short question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I think those type of questions do lend themselves to longer answers because it, it does take quite a bit of explanation to kind of understand the baseline. Uh, all right, let's go to another one. <clears throat> uh, let's see. This one we can use the name. So this one's from Paul Reese. He says, I'm a consultant who does not write code. Uh, I try to write good, thorough specs and have regular check-in calls to talk through progress, but in many cases, there are delays I don't fully understand. And both sides end up frustrated. Well, kind of dealing with that right now. How can I avoid this? What should I expect from a good developer and what should a good developer expect from me? I love this question. I honestly love this question <clears throat> because it's there's so many subtleties involved here and a lot of this gets into uh, just different models of working and and you know, Paul based on the answer I'm about to give, like this may or may not be possible for you depending on you know, where your developers are, and I don't know if they're in the same room as you or if they're in a different country or whatever. So 
take everything I'm about to say with just a it's a it's a your mileage may vary type of thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the thing that went off in my head immediately when you said, uh, you know, I, I give the best specs as possible to the developer, but then you know later I don't understand the delay or whatever. Well, my preferred mode of working nowadays is, is honestly I don't. I, I used to be right there, and I think, and I hear this a lot from you still, John. <clears throat> you know, you want a really good spec, and I used to like want. I mean, I was fully bought into um, doing all the requirements, mm-hmm. requirements elicitation, like you know, eliciting requirements. In, in fact, there was um there was a great Twitter thread, and I'll try to find it. And remember to put it in the show notes. Um, that someone said something about um, how software requirements is just I don't know, it's like a joke or something. Criticizing this notion of software requirements, but and all these people and some of these like famous like software architects or whatever authors and all this stuff mm-hmm. started chiming in on this. And a lot of people disagreeing. Actually, some people think that you know, and, and I actually think again for certain types of projects. You now, if you're building a, a um, you know an, an implantable medical device of some sort, you probably should have some really good, really, really, really good requirements and specifications, right? Right. <laughs> Before you really write a line of code. Um, I'm you know in my world, I build mainly business software. And the model that I, again, and I used to be bought in that, you know, figure out all the requirements. And then only once you've got all the requirements perfect and documented and they're all signed off on and they're published in big binders. Then you went to Kinko's or whatever and you know, with a nice spiral, you know, you had them (laughs) professionally bound. Only then do you then write your design specification that would implement those requirements. And heaven forbid you put any kind of design artifact in your requirements document because I would rake you over the coals for that. You know, <laughs> how dare you say then the user clicks a button? That's our decision. We'll figure out where the buttons are and who clicks them. Um, <laughs> you know, you had your big requirements document, you had your big design document, and only yeah. once we figured we got all those perfect, did we start building software? That never worked very well. <laughs> Uh, it, it turns but, out this goes back to like if you if you end up building the thing that you that you set out to build, you definitely built the wrong thing. If you didn't if you didn't either take the opportunity to learn and improve that thing as you were building it, and let the process of building it and seeing it come into form, if you didn't let that inform the rest of the what was left to do, and then you you just missed out on so much. Like this is this is a very big warning sign to me. The, the the whole upfront and so so what are you advocating for? Well, then? so what I'm advocating for is nowadays, and again, because I've got you know I'm working with people that um, that also do that. They, in fact, some of them write very good specs or what what you could reasonably expect from a spec. I mean, and that's the problem with specs, right? I don't care how good you are, <clears throat> and now you know a good business analyst, right, that might write <clears throat> requirements document or a great solution architect that might write you know the design specification. And by the design, I don't mean like necessarily visual design. I'm talking about you you've documented this problem that the client has. Mm-hmm. You know they need to be able to process insurance claims, and so the requirements talk about claims and what you need to do with claims and who should get approved and who shouldn't get approved and all these things, right? All the business rules and all this stuff. Right. But they don't mention anything about, or they shouldn't mention anything about screens and buttons and flows or whatever. Right. That's the design, like the solution designer. And there's mm-hmm. all kinds of different terms for these things, but you know, in the, in the Salesforce world, they're called solution designer, solution architect, or something like that. And they're the ones that decide, you know, document. what visual force, and again, I'm talking kind of in the Salesforce world now, what visual force pages are needed, what triggers are needed, um, what batch processes are needed, you know, and then and they get all that designed and figured out. And maybe that's a TA that does that too. I don't know. You know, Salesforce has got all these different terms that are essentially meaningless, but whatever. Um, 
And then you, you know, you get this perfect document. Then you should be able to just throw it over the wall to some, you know, developers in uh, Colombia or Bangalore or somewhere, and they should be able. They, you've given them this perfect document. You just need them to, you know, do the clickety clack. It doesn't type the keys into the computer, right? right? That's what you're paying them to do at that point. And uh, yeah, that model I just don't think is great because the spec is as much as good as the person is writing the spec. Again, they are benefiting from no validation of assumptions from no seeing of this thing come into existence and mm-hmm. letting that based on what's what things that are what, what's feasible and what and the things that are learned on the ground and all the and the because every time you build software you go down rat holes and all the things you learn and what's capable and what's not and what's a good way to do it and what's not good I mean you're not learning from all those things you've 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 foregone all that and so the spec can only be so good and also, you know, no one's perfect. The client's not perfect. The person that did the requirements is not perfect. The person that's writing this design specification is not perfect. At every step of the line, they forgot about things. They didn't do things. Or they did, or they put in multiple things that were contradictory. That's also super... Yeah. Con- any, any, any document of any decent size is going ha- to have things in it that are self-contradictory. Right. Right? So there's no way to get someone that's a, that's a good enough spec. And I'm, I'm talking about things that take longer than like a day. I'm talking about something that might take six weeks at least... You know, or at least a few weeks. No, no, no. I, anything, I, I anything think it's different. I mean, there, there's some very simple requirements that someone will toss over with a sentence, but it just, to them, in their head, that sentence says everything. And But to me, who's just okay. reading this for the first time, it says nothing. So that's, that's another aspect of someone can write, or someone could write a design spec, <clears throat> okay? They could give it to you and they could give it to me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read it. You're going to read it. And they wrote it, so they read it too. We all have our own interpretation. We all read that document through the lens of our own brain, and which is colored by all of our own experiences and understandings, and we're completely different people. We all have a different... There's no true shared understanding of a requirements document or of, or of a design. Well, no, because, I mean, each one of those documents are written for a different audience. I mean, you, you, t- you talk about solution design, that's typically written for, for the BA and for the, the business owner to kind of go, yes, this is our problems, these are the things that we want to happen, Approved, and then someone's got to take that and translate, and hope they don't miss something in that interpretation, and turn it into some kind of technical design, and hope that they've jotted all the kind of logical touch points, milestones, we'll say, in that document that describe you know what are the different things that we need, and then and then you you toss that down to to someone else who's for third removed from all of this, and, and they have to just kind of take the document for what it is and build it. I think I'm just taking that a step further. I'm saying like because you and I do, we have similar skill sets, do similar types of work, right? Mm-hmm. Someone could give the same document to the both of us, and we're going to have a different interpretation of that document. And we're in the same role. Yeah. And we'd, ha- we'd interpret that differently. Yeah. So it, that's the problem with, there, there's just a fundamental limit on the usefulness of this whole big design up front thing. I, the model I like is, not only do, do I want to work with whoever's creating these documents, talking to the clients on that, like, I want to be involved in that. In fact, my thing that I've been harping on for kind of years now, and I still have to do it because we're all programmed the wrong way. Mm-hmm. I mean, industry, prog- I mean, education, and most industries, I mean, any kind of building industry or whatever it's all, you know, we talked about this before, you know, we're taught batch, we're taught, you know, we're taught big batches, we're taught um, big documents. We're taught. We're taught big contracts. You you have to up. You have to agree everything up front. You know. Mm-hmm. This is the way we're taught almost everything. So we constantly are having to deprogram ourselves. And in, and in, and part of that is I'm helping. I'm trying to deprogram other people. And a lot of people are really receptive to it, especially where they have a choice. Some people don't have a choice. They're just like, hey, this is how we do it. I don't have any choice here. This is how I've got to do it. But a lot of people are just like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. I'll, I'll give that a shot. Makes sense to me. You know. So yeah, I'll I'll. Um, 
I want to work with all these people. Mm-hmm. Before, every, before the idea of what we're building has solidified in everyone's brain. I want to get. I want to get in that process when it's still every everyone's brain matter is still malleable. Yeah, um, and and they're open to other design, uh, other ideas. I mean, people get biased so quickly. Uh, so I I want to be involved in the process, and I know I think you're different than me on this. So this um, I'll, after I explain this, you know, you can tell me what you like. I like to be involved early, so I can. I want to talk to the customer. I want to talk to people who are going to use this. I want to talk to this person, this business analyst or the solution architect. You know, and I want us to together as a team talk through the problem and really explore the problem and explore the solution space. And, and then I want to start, I want to then go, and I don't want to figure everything out because we're not going to figure everything out. What I mm-hmm. want to do is I want to then take that after a couple of meetings and I'm going to start building some stuff. Then I want to take it back to the team and say, hey, look what I built. Uh, it does this thing and this other thing that we talked about, but this third thing, we can't do it that way. I did it this other way instead. What do you think? And it just, and have that, and then rinse and repeat a hundred times. And we will end up with a far better solution then if I would just would have taken, if you'd have thrown that spec over the wall to me based on all of your unvalidated assumptions that were just assumption on assumption on assumption. And I yeah. just took that and all I could do, I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't involved in, uh, you know, ideating the solution and designing the solution. I'm just, I'm, all those skills that I have are being put on the, they're not, I'm not able to use those. I'm literally just the, and this is the difference between like a, I think a software designer or a software engineer and a developer. I'm now just a developer. I'm the guy that I know Apex syntax, mm-hmm. syntax, and I can type in code. I know how to use the compiler and I know how to deploy things. So that I'm just the person typing in the code now at that point. Well, see, you're right. I do have a different perspective on that because I don't like being involved early on. I, I feel like when it comes to that initial engagement with the client and and all that comes with that, it's not just requirements and it's not just business process. There's a lot of politics of that company involved as well. There are, And, it, but, and it's yeah. things I don't really want yeah. to deal with. I mean, you're talking about me, who's a very expensive resource, sitting there listening to the company vent about their politics. It's not. It, it's rarely useful time for me. And not only that, it's days, maybe weeks of work of sitting there just listening People to stories. People are not resources. <laughs> Did I call myself a resource? Yes. It is Freudian slip. But I, I just don't find that time a useful time of my skill set. My skill set is building what if you're getting, an architect what if you're getting and solutions. paid your top rate for it. I, I mean, I, I'm not saying I don't get paid that my top rate for it, and I and I and I guess from that perspective, I shouldn't complain. But at the same time, what I enjoy doing is building in and building software, is building and coding. And for me to sit in a meeting and listen to a comp, to someone vent about their processes and and go through the minutia of, of all that kind of stuff, that's better suited for someone with a different personality that enjoys that kind of stuff, that enjoys unraveling that. That's not me as a person. I don't enjoy that at all. I'd rather, you know, let you, I'd rather let a good BA or a project manager or who, business analyst, whoever's in charge of doing that. Let me, let me. <laughs> I'll let you do it. Whoever's, whoever loves getting in there with, with that company, do that and then just kind of, you know, give, you know, sieve some of that politics out and tell me, what it is they, they're trying to accomplish so that I, and uh, at that point, I don't mind participating. Once we get to the point where we're trying to figure out exactly what, what we want to do, you know, here's what we want to accomplish. How can we do this? But that, that, is, that is the conversation. Exactly what you just said. What do we want to do and how do we accomplish it? I, yeah, That's but those, the conversation the, those initial in. engagements, I, I, you, you've been there. It's the, it's the intros. It's the, how you doing? Here, here's who I am. And everyone's trying to get comfortable to the point where they can speak, where you they just, can really honestly speak. You're complaining about your social anxiety. No, it's not social anxiety. It's, it's, I, I know it sounds that way, but it's not. It, what I'm saying is there, there's a fair amount of upfront kind of team melding to get comfortable enough to get to the real requirements and the real pain points of what's going on. 
And that just takes a lot of time and effort that I don't have the mental capacity for. It's mind-numbing to me to sit there and listen to politics of why they do this and why do they do that. And I'm not good at take telling a customer, or not telling, but helping a customer get past the 1% issue to get to the 90% issue. Because so many times when we go through these sessions, a customer is really focused on that 1% issue and will not let it go until we have a, a solution for it. And, I'm, uh, and in, my, in my head, I'm going, there's no solution for that. That, that's an outside case we have to deal with separately. You're going to spend... But that's actually really... Va- that's a really valuable conclusion to draw and to present back to this person you're talking to because they may not realize that. I they guess. probably don't realize that. Maybe. And that's also why... And by the way, the answer is you absolutely get paid for these conversations because <laughs> honestly, these are some of the most valuable conversations because it's, it's during these upfront conversations where I will often, like you just said, convince someone, well, you're, you're solving the wrong problem here. Like, you don't want to pay me to build this. This is the wrong... I also don't like going on site. Right. <laughs> I didn't. I mean, it may not even necessarily be on site. I mean, no, the, maybe they come to your site, or maybe it's not no, no, a thing. Or no, whatever. the way it usually goes is is on site with the client. I, uh, I want to stay home. Uh, yeah, we're gonna need you to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, fly uh, to the client. You know, um, we don't have a lot of budget for travel, so um, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have three legs on this flight. Um, yeah, stay in the Roach Hotel. Um, yeah, I will upgrade myself in those those cases. Anyways, so let's let's get back to this. I feel like we we, well, we need I, to. Pop I want to say step. though, I feel like you're. I think I feel like you're you're complaining about like this upfront like little political thing. I th- no, no, I'm just using that as an example okay. of of how I like to work, what I enjoy yeah. doing, where I feel I'm more valuable. I mean, yes, I may have some kind of input, or someone might say something to me, and I I can contribute. I don't I don't have any fear of contributing to the conversation. It's just it's not a process I enjoy. It's not a process that I enjoy going through. I I like this other thing more. So if I had a choice, I'd rather stay on the coding architecture side than business analyst side. Yeah. I, I hear you. I, I just feel like you. I feel like you made that up. That that part that you're talking about that you don't like. I feel like you made that a little bit of a mountain out of a molehill with that. I think I was a little I bit. Of, to, little I've bit done of it so man. many times and for so many years. I mean, yeah. I I was the technical architect, and I had to sit in with the BA, and we were we we were locked arm in arm, and we were trying to unravel the requirements, and it just wasn't something I really enjoyed as much as coding. Another thing, I, I couldn't wait till I could start typing on the keyboard and code. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm I'm certainly because I, I think it's I think it's an integrated process, you know. And if you're doing agile right, it's you know once you agree you have a project uh, and everyone's willing to work on it, you know, it sh- you shouldn't wait very long before you do start coding. So I'm 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 with you on that. Well, yeah, and maybe maybe that has to do with the type of projects. I mean, these were very waterfall like projects. Everything was done up front. There was multiple doc. I mean, multiple versions. There was probably like three or four different documents. You know, solution document or. Uh, I don't know, some kind of like like upfront uh, business a, requirement and then solution your BRD, design. Your FRD, then, yeah, your, exactly. your uh, vision statement, your, exactly. your executive uh, s- sponsor uh, statement. Oh, and, and, then, and then we would have fun and pick the project name. What kind of project oh, yeah. name would you like? We're, this is the Galaxy Project. Yeah, exactly. The, the Superman Lasers project. and unicorns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I guess my brain, I'm just too cynical. That kind of stuff doesn't excite me. Some people, they really enjoy it and they really like it because it's it kind of brings things down to a more casual level when it comes to the project. But for me, it was just like, uh, this, is, yeah. this sucks. Well, I, I certainly don't. I don't enjoy like any kind of overly political stuff or I like, I like definitely like getting down to the meat and potatoes and I will drive the conversation the meeting to that. Yeah. Um, but I, I do I, try to, I, in those situations, I do try to try to bring things back to their requirements. I, I, I will chime in and say, you know, I think that's the 1% or not, I'm not going to use those words, but I will try to say that. 
saw that. I will, try to, I will try to bring up that I think that's an edge case that maybe we we focus on this other piece and then we'll, we'll come back to that and see if there's something we can do to address it. But it is a small issue that maybe you're handling it manually today. It might be something you continue to handle manually. It, those type yeah. of things. Well, actually, I want to say something because that, that's a really good point. This is also the part of the conversation, the part of this whole process where I could maybe head off the whole thing because this is also the part where I'm trying to convince them not to build software. I'm basically trying to get them to convince that them not is, to That hire is true. I, I do I do try to convince people not to build something. I will be that sounds like something you can do with workflow, or that sounds like something that you're doing manual. I don't think there's gonna be much in return on investment here to code this. Right. Uh, it's it's just uh, why. Yep. Exactly. Why? Yep. Well, it's the whole, uh, you know, what is it, five whys or whatever, you know, it's that, yeah. it's that thing too. But yeah, my, my whole point is, if we can get through that whole conversation of me trying to convince you not to do this, not to hire me, number one, I'd just save you a ton of money, which is by the way, that's why I get paid to have that conversation because it's it's the most valuable, it's it's the cheapest consulting engagement you've ever had in your life because I, I, I just saved I, you I like, feel like consult, you know, hundreds the, of thousands of dollars. I feel like if I'm in a consulting company, my boss would be like, why did you talk to them out of doing that? That which was is, good money. Which is why I don't, I really <laughs> cannot work for most of these consulting companies because their, their model is get every project you can. Don't ever turn anything away. There's no such thing as a bad client. There's no such thing as a bad fit. Sell, 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 sell. And I'm just like, but I, because I, I mean, I'm just, I look at myself as a person. I've got eight hours in the day, probably six five or six good working hours, right? Um, those are going to be occupied by a client, either a bad client or a good client. I, it's, it's very much that it's an opportunity. If, I'm, if I take that project from a client and I'm just like, I really don't think they should build this, but damn, they're going to pay me. If I take that, then that means that all that time I'm working on that, I can't be working with a client that I could be re- building something really badass that's going to change their business. I mean, because imagine when you're done with that, first of all, what they think of you. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a way higher likelihood of getting paid um, you're going to have, back to Salesforce, you're going to have a great case study out of this. Imagine the the quote you could put on your your little website for your cons- little consulting company. Yeah, have a great trailblazer, trailblazer <laughs> award exactly. to put on your site. So it's, to me, it's an opportunity cost. I don't think of myself as a, as a consulting company where I can just sell the sell all the things and just scale up, just hire, you know, very mediocre, but people have, you know, eight uh, certifications. I staff up with all these people. these all these mediocre people and just, and just implement all these hours. I don't think of myself like that. I think of myself as, I, I'm just I'm concerned about me and my hours, and well, how that's and true. How, but the quality of those but to, hours to play devil's advocate and kind of from the partner's perspective, the consulting partner perspective, I mean they have payroll to fill. They 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 well, got don't hire this, some don't hire some well, mediocre on, consultants. Most, don't have most, as much payroll. Hold on, <laughs> most of them get their leads from Salesforce and, and Salesforce AE. So if if an AE comes to you and presents you with a lead you and you're like it. you're you like, have to close it. <laughs> You're, yeah, you have to close ABC, it. ABC, right? Always be closing. Otherwise, you start jeopardizing your relationship with the AE and you start losing out on leads. I mean, it, so there's there's a there's a symbiotic relationship here. And so sometimes these things just oh, happen. See, that's why I don't like that part, Salesforce partner model because they give you leads and they expect you to... I mean, these guys are under the gun, these Salesforce reps. We we know, we've had plenty of accounts of, of what a pressure cooker that place is, Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's every every month, every quarter. It's like if you're not going, if you're not going up, you're you're out. And so when they give you leads, they expect those to be closed. Yeah. And they and if if you ever went back to them and said, you know what, it just really wasn't a good fit, and I was able to talk the client out of buying Salesforce, they would you would never get a lead again ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's why I'm not a Salesforce partner. All right, well, let's pop the stack. I want to I want to get to this last part of the question, and let's just keep it short because I want to get to some other topics or other questions. Uh, uh, what should I expect from a good developer, and what should I expect? What should a good developer expect from me? So that's the last part of that question. Oh, boy, that's 
That's such a, so let's start with the that's first a, that's part. Another, that's another expect, hour conversation. Let's keep it short. What should you expect from a good developer? If you had to look like your five bullet points of what a good developer is, do you, I, don't, I don't know that I have a good bullet point list, to be well, honest. The, and, and to boil that down to five things. I know. Um, a lot of times... Because we're so complex creatures. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, I, I, I mean, what, what makes um, a good contractor to your house? I mean, you never know. You, you try to get okay, reviews so on the person. About, you try to get feedback on the person. You, you try to see their work, try see, examples of their work. Well, let, let's... Yeah, that, that's, that's, like a, and that's, that's more like assessing someone. But let's say that regardless of any individual person or how you assess, like what are five characteristics of a good developer? Let, let, let's see what you and I can agree on. How about asks really good questions? Yeah. Would that, I mean, that, yeah, that sounds like a good one, right? Yeah. Um, uh, is honest. I mean, if, if, they, oh, if yeah. they say... if Is honest and, and has courage to be honest. Right. It, to say, hey, I had this issue. I myself, that was a good one. <laughs> and when I say honesty, I don't mean, you know, you know, something went wrong and they owned up to it. I mean... Well, that too. <laughs> but I also mean... Because this happens a lot when you, when, you t- when you work with developers and you're like, hey, is this done yet? They're like, no, I'll have it done tomorrow. I just, just, 90%. You know, I just need like five, 90, 90%, 90%, where I'm at 90%. <laughs> when really they're at 40% and they have this issue that they can't seem to get past and they're working through it, but in their head they think, I just I, if I just spend a few more hours on it, I'll tackle it. Uh, a good developer will be honest and say, hey, I've, I've come across this issue. I'm trying to work through it. I'm not exactly sure what's wrong. Um, but I'm but I'm working on it. I'm not exactly sure what that's going to do to my timeline. I think I'm on track or I'm not on track. But but at least honest enough and feel comfortable enough to to be able to give you that feedback because that's important. A lot of developers will instead, I've noticed, uh, claim they're at ninety percent, and a lot of times that's where your delay comes from is is they're just not being honest about where they're really at. Yeah. Or they have a lot of other distractions. They're working on multiple things, like I tend to do sometimes, um, and those things take longer than I thought they would. Right. Yeah, so, uh, so okay, um, ask good questions. Um, I don't know if honesty and courage, those are kind of separate things, but I, I guess you could group them into one. I don't know. Yeah. Um, what, what else? Um, I, I think you should be able to read their code. I think even as a non-developer, you should be able to go in and see the code and understand at least high-level logically what it's attempting to do. The class name should make sense. They they should have some kind of correlation with your requirements. Yeah. If you have some requirement that says, you know, I don't know, go and calculate uh, commissions or something, you you should expect to see a class in there say called commission calculator or something to do with commissions. Right. And you should be able to go in that and to see, oh, there's a cal- there's that calculation, there's that formula in from our requirements document. You should be able to go and see that. Especially if you're using you know constants for things, yeah. like magic numbers. I mean, so, so yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, I, I, so what's that called? Writes good code. I feel like that's an obvious one, but obviously it's important though, right? Yeah. But it is, it does seem obvious, but very important. Right. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's jump to what should a good developer expect from, say, the person writing the requirements? Um, I, I think for me, pragmatism. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. I was going to say a long sentence of that, but yeah. <laughs> that I mean, go cut. for it. That one we are recording a it. podcast here, so you, know, you can talk all you want. No, we have other stuff. <laughs> we don't get charged for the minute. Yeah. Not that I'm aware of. It, I, I think when it comes to, to requirements that a developer can build off of, um, it's, it's stating what needs to happen clearly with, with little to no exposition unless it's required. I, I see a lot of requirements where they tell me the whole story, and by the time I get to what that's do you really need... That's because that's what you told them you wanted. I don't want a story. Okay. Oh, you just want you want to boil down, you know, essence of the facts, right, or whatever. Well, yeah. I mean, if you need if you if you need me to default this value when this record gets created, that's all I need to know. 
But don't tell me. Well, See, and I, I completely disagree with you on that, but we don't have time to go into that. <laughs> <laughs> I see your point. I, I, could, I, I can see how that conversation can expand, and maybe we'll expand on that later. So someone, someone ask us to, yeah. someone, someone send us a question at uh, info at Good Day Sir podcast to expand on that conversation. Because yeah, if not, we will certainly forget. All right. Um, what else should a developer expect? Um, to, to be involved in the process. That's me. That's not you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think when it comes to building to, things. To be treated like more than a code monkey. Yeah. It's not, yeah, we've talked about this before. I, I sometimes position myself as a code monkey, but... Um, <laughs> uh, figuratively <laughs> figuratively <laughs> but um i i think i think having having a good working relationship i mean these are people you're going to be working with for months years i mean get to know them bond with them get some kind of working relationship i'm not saying you have to be buddies should and go you go have play, beers. should you go play whirly ball together or do you, one of those mystery rooms no i'm not saying that oh, okay. but I, I i am saying you know you know have a conversation if you're having a regular team call don't be afraid to say hey how's how's your family, those kind of things, and just just have some common ground to just kind of talk about where it's not so serious all the time. It's not so, what did you get done? Why did you get it? Why isn't it done? This and that. I mean, that, that goes a long way, yep. I, I think, in terms of having some kind of common relationship where you feel like, I can tell him that I'm having an issue. I can tell him that, hey, this isn't going to be on time because you have this kind of relationship. Right. That's a good one. <clears throat> it's a two-way street. You know, a lot of those things were the 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 soft, soft mat, soft skills, soft things. But I mean, to me, those are like, those are the important ones. Yeah. Because, you know, people can learn an API. They can learn a, a, a design pattern. It's, it's these soft skills, these um, attributes of a person that are more than just a fleeting technology or skill that, that are hard to find. Yeah, I think they're really important. You know, and another thing that comes to mind about concerning soft skills is you might be frustrated and if, when you finally get the courage to say, hey, I'm frustrated with this, you might be surprised to find out that other person is frustrated as well. And, and that could be something you guys can bond over. And because you're both frustrated, you can talk about that and you can somehow figure out a way to either resolve it or just get past it. Yeah. To, you know, because that, that's happened to me on numerous occasions as well, where I, I've just been frustrated and I finally well up and go, you know, what? I'm frustrated. I'll get it out. Yep. And they'll be like, yeah, me too. I'm dealing with the same thing. You know, I wish I could give you this requirement. I wish I could do this, but they keep changing their mind and this and that. And so, and because of that, we're able to work past it. I know I'm not alone. I know it's not li like someone being just forgetful of, of, of the way I like to work or things like that. It becomes this, this thing that we're both experiencing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing how uh, commun just communicating more can <clears throat> break down some of those things. Because anytime there's, anyone who's married knows this, anytime there's a lack of communication, people always assume the worst thing. And that just mm -hmm. breeds like resentment and yeah. anger and all. And just, I don't know. We, uh, for some reason, our minds always go to the worst assumptions about what this other person's intentions are. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's move on. We have more questions or is that it? Yeah, we have, we have one more question. Mm, one more question and then review. Okay. And then we'll be done because I got to finish up quickly. Uh, this one, we can use the name. This one's from Leo Alves. Alves? Alves? I hope I'm saying that right. How do you spell it? A-L-V-E-S. Alves? Alves? Maybe. We'll let him uh, let us know who won that contest. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it starts out with, thanks for a great podcast. Always fun and cool to hear your opinions. Uh, so got a question for you to... Uh, why are you still doing Salesforce development? You guys sound oh, that's a great, sound great developers with a, with a lot of industry knowledge and have experience in other frameworks. 
They also sound frustrated with Salesforce with how the platform doesn't let you do a lot of things that are not a problem for modern frameworks. The issue with sandbox provisioning, uh, of other frameworks, the issues with sandbox provisioning, that was weird. Uh, is your Salesforce career driven by the higher demand, therefore higher rates for Salesforce devs? So I guess there's two questions in there. Why are we still doing Salesforce and is it driven by uh, higher demand? I'll let you start. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely... <clears throat> and this uh, this will probably flow into our, our review a little bit. There's some similar things. Um, th there's a lot of frustrating aspects for Salesforce as a developer, especially as like someone who's a software engineer who's worked on other platforms. And I know I talk about that a lot. And I compare I complain about Salesforce and compare it to other platforms. And I'm sure that gets old to a lot of people, but it just it that's just that's my perspective. That's that's the path I had. So that's what I do. Mm -hmm. I mean, and and but on the other hand. I mean, Salesforce is probably the best at what they do. And they're a $10 billion company with a, if you believe them, a $400 billion ecosystem. That's a lot of clients. That's a lot of work for me, right? And I have, this is just where my connections are. I kind of fell into this thing 15 years ago or so. And this is just where, I mean, when people, this is my network basically at this point. Mm -hmm. When people call me for work, it's, it's generally, and it's not always, but even the people that call me for non-Salesforce work, and I can think of like the most recent couple of big like non-Salesforce projects I did. They call, they called me because they knew me through the Salesforce thing, but it wasn't for a Salesforce gig. So I don't know. It's just it's just the space I work in, and, and it is getting better. And I have hopes for Salesforce. If I thought I don't know, because I have been at I would say low points with Salesforce and my hopes for them. But right now, my I've got you know, especially with the DX thing and whatever. I mean, I've I've got hopes that it's getting better. I and. And they've also, they've obviously you know applied some 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 people and some budget to improving these things and there's a lot of smart people that work at Salesforce that are I think on the inside trying to do the right thing and and again my hope is for just from a selfish perspective that it, it that it ends up improving the things that I want them to improve the things that that you know but it's some of it's not selfish it's, I feel like it's a mutual thing like I'm trying to help Salesforce's customers be successful mm -hmm. doing the things that Mark Benioff says you're supposed to be able to do right yeah absolutely so I'm trying to make their promises true. I'm trying to deliver on their promises. And sometimes I feel like I'm, every time I try, they're just pulling the rug out from under me over and over and over. Yeah, and I, I think I echo a lot of uh, kind of why you do Salesforce work and it echoes kind of why, why I mean, you got me into Salesforce, but it was mainly because... I, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, at the time, Salesforce didn't do too much. So we were leveraging our existing skills in Java or .NET and building out the things that it couldn't yeah, do. Right. And, Hacking some JavaScript in there, right. doing some uh, .NET integrations, exactly. or you know. <laughs> so. So well, I think I, I think we still have. I'm, I I bet you um, we've got like probably like oh my gosh, 15 year old .NET integrations are probably still running. I um, know of until I don't know if it's been changed recently, but one of some email program that you wrote for a large enterprise company that I ended up employing with uh, was still using. <laughs> God. I don't that, even think they that have the is, source code for it anymore. It's just, it was just there chugging away. So that is well <laughs> over 10 years old. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> God. Oh, we're so old, John. I know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I agree. <clears throat> and, and, and I mean, this has what? been our career for the last 15 years. We've built a network. We've built, we've, we've, we've grown up with this community. I mean, this is, this is, this is how we work. This is, this is our career. I mean, and, and yes, this is where the demand is, honestly. I mean, for me, I, I think about sometimes when I get frustrated because, yeah, there, there's a lot of marketing hype and then we have to be the ones to kind of try to deliver it or, or make it work or, or kind of explain, do the well, hard explanation. I mean, yeah. 
around things uh, because, and a lot of it sounds great. A lot of it sounds like, you know, if it really did that, that would be so awesome. Um, but there, there's, you know, there's all these limitations and things around it. So sometimes, you know, we, it gets difficult. It yeah. gets frustrating at times because you do want to do these things. You do want to build this software and you do want to build it and have it work awesome because that's a reflection of you and your abilities. But when when you're limited by the platform and the platform is limiting your abilities, it does get frustrating because you know that if I just did this in, in React or if I just went off and did this in Heroku, it, it would be awesome. Um, but we don't always have that. And, and it's hard not to feel like, you know, you got Salesforce out here saying they're characterizing their platform in a certain way with certain capabilities. But we're dealing with this, the, the realities of, of their mm-hmm. platform. And it's hard not to feel like it's a bait and switch. Like they're baiting their customers and then switching up, sw- you know, pulling the switch on us almost. And, and it's also hard to feel like they've, again, recent times are different, but there's been many points in, in history here where it's, it's been hard to imagine anything other than the fact that they just weren't serious about this, improving this platform. Yeah, it just really was. I mean, well, I, th- I think what happened is is at certain points in time, they were kind of judging the 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 market, so to speak, and they they put their efforts towards where they thought the market was gonna was gonna be, and a lot of times that meant ignoring developers and focusing on things like chatter or whatever. Yeah, and 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 it's through those exercises, and and also through through the exercise of just saying no software. You don't, you don't need an expensive developer. The, all that marketing, you know, it affects us developers who are out there, you know, building stuff and going, you know what, if it wasn't for us, this customer would not still be a customer because I built some really cool stuff that got around the stuff that, that you couldn't do. Yeah. <clears throat> and I don't know. But you know what? And I, like I said, we, we, you and I have probably, I mean, we've been doing this long enough. We have so many of those stories. And it's weird. And not that I expect anything, but like, I mean, it's not, you know, wouldn't it be weird. It wouldn't be cool if you had a call from Salesforce and say, "Hey, we we totally we we see what you're doing there for us, and we really appreciate that." Well, they did. I'm an MVP. Well, that's true. <laughs> they just don't like what you say. Me, on the other hand, <laughs> sad face. <laughs> but I I don't think it's disingenuous. I don't think it's like big Salesforce being big evil. I just think you know you, you got to see it for what is it. It's a for profit company. I, I know I know that comes to a shock to a lot of people who see Salesforce as this big philanthropic organization with the one one one, but Salesforce exists to what's, make what's money. What's one percent of no profit? Again, <laughs> oh, that's right, zero. But but they they are a for profit company. They're out there to make money, which means they're out there to market their product however they can in, in the best way they can, the best light they can, to get you to sign licenses. Um, and and that's that's fine. There, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just. You know, when our frustration comes, and it's not really our frustration, it's just us being real about what we're experiencing. I mean, that's really what this podcast is. It's you and I talking about our experiences, the conversations we had over lunches, just talking about, you know, what's frustrating us, what's working, what's that not. That is what this podcast is supposed to be. Yeah. And I think there's some people that don't quite understand that. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I, I think at times we kind of, we've changed, I don't know, I, I don't think we've changed our format, but, you know, there are times where we've kind of been really been news heavy and focused and less sharing our experiences. And there are times where we're just, we're doing nothing but sharing experiences. It, I, I think, think it depends on what we're inspired or interested to talk about at the time. If, if like, there's nothing going on in, that, that's, that I want to talk about, then let's just, let's just talk about what's happening in the news. Yeah. Then. You know, it just, it depends. It's just, again, I don't, that's why we don't have a format. And some people probably hate that. We don't have a format to this show. Yeah. We don't have segments with bumper music. And, Fitbit. You know, <laughs> Um, we also don't have a soundboard anymore. <laughs> well, kind of. It's just it's, it's Jeremy uh, Hunt's and Peck's. It's, over it's there. in a certain. No, I was like, trying to find the marker button. No. Um, but overall, I, I think I think just to kind of lay this down at a more flat level, it, it's because of the demand. It's because I have a skill set that that is that is marketable, easily marketable in in this in this yeah. arena, and um, 
and I do well. And, and so I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn my back on that. Exactly. I mean, and I have a family to feed. And, and like you said, you, and I, I don't know if I'd say there's, I think you made some comment about there's, you know, there's more demand here or whatever. And there's certainly, especially as now that Salesforce is a $10 billion company and there's, you know, there's probably, you know, a couple hundred billion dollars of projects that go on every year in the Salesforce world. And that's certainly, that's a lot of work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also, I mean, look at the explosion of the Apple ecosystem. I mean, how, and who, that's got to be in the trillions, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Salesforce is in the billions on the hundreds of billions. Um, I mean, there's, Microsoft ecosystem is huge. The Java ecosystem is huge. You know, every all the stuff around cloud computing and the digital transformation. That's it's all. I mean, there's just there's tons. I mean, there's just tons of money all, all kinds of places. Is there some good demand? Yeah, there's good demand in Salesforce. It's still growing, which is great. I mean, it's, you know, watch out, all of us people who, who work in the space. As soon as their revenue flattens and and but the headcounts of these consulting companies are still going up, we're, it's, that's gonna that's gonna hurt. And that's <laughs> that's when uh, you're gonna brush off those iOS skills or something, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, like, uh, to me, it's just more of, that's just who calls me. I mean, and I haven't put in, I haven't had a concerted effort to make a big switch or to, or to go into a, another space. I think about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, I do, I mean, I do do things that aren't Salesforce related. That's just not really, I don't have a strong network that is, uh, that is completely outside of a Salesforce network, I guess. And I don't, and again, I, mean, I, don't, like I, said, I know we complain a lot, but it's, or, and we criticize, but I, that's, that's just, that's just, I mean, well, should we not? Should we not talk about the good parts and the bad parts? And because we talk about the good parts, we give, we give credit where credit's due. Yeah. Um, you know, if there, I mean, if, if we couldn't build solutions on this system, we probably wouldn't work on this system, right? <laughs> well, let, let's get to the review because I feel like you're talking more to the uh, review and less to this question. Okay. Before we jump to the review, though, even though we were kind of segueing there anyway, because um, people might, we're an hour and something in. Um, these questions are cool. I like these questions. I feel like this simulates some good conversation. Oh, yeah, I love Please them. Please send us questions, more questions. Uh, info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. Info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. Uh, we will, by default, we will not use your name. If you don't mind us mentioning your name, just feel free to tell us. You have to explicitly tell us we can mention your name. Um, but yeah, any any questions like these or uh, completely other questions or ideas for topics or whatever, we enjoy getting those. Or if you just want to send us, you know, PayPal us a million dollars, that's fine too. <laughs> we, we do have that email address hooked up to a PayPal, don't we? No? Uh, no. Okay. That's your, that's your homework for this week, John. Okay. Yeah, so we, we definitely uh, shoot us an email if just any ideas or questions. Also, uh, you know, reviews on iTunes, those are good. Uh, we like those. What else, John? Uh, share us on the socials. What? Tell your friends. Socials. Because click the, click the here's heart, the deal. Heart, heart icon. We have to have a icon. replacement stream of people listening to this podcast for all the people that I piss off. <laughs> and it's funny. You laugh, but I can I can see the churn in our when when you look at our numbers. I mean, you can tell you can tell there are people that come and the people that are when, when can, it's a Jeremy heavy yeah, show the ex- numbers go down exactly they do. No, you should you should literally just do a podcast by yourself because the numbers will be much higher. <laughs> I have gotten feedback that I should I should uh, speak up more that I sometimes let you. Uh, Take the reins. That's what. That's what the. Yeah. That's what I'm. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Well, a lot of times I'm. I ask you to speak up. I'm like, come on, John. This is the. This is gonna be another Jeremy show. You know. <laughs> and especially after I get a couple of these in me, it's like you can't shut me up. So. Yeah. Well, a lot of it. I, I will say this. A lot of it does come down to style because I. I like to take pauses and I like to think about what I'm going to say, especially if I'm not exactly sure how I want to approach a topic. 
But Jeremy hates silence, like a millisecond silence. He's like, oh my God, everyone's shutting down I'm their thinking, iPods. Yes. They think their iPod's broken. <laughs> or that's just when they're going to hit next. And, go and so next. Jeremy's like really quick to fill in that gap. So, so a lot of it comes down to style too. And then before I know it, he's gotten like two topics in. Yeah. I'm like, oh crap. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of it from a from a production perspective and like, you know, dead air. Yeah. But also, you know, people don't, I mean, people don't see behind the scenes. Like when we get started, it's hard to get you going. I don't know why I should set up a camera. I mean, I mean, you, you should tell people. So it's not just like me telling the story. Like I have to get you going. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think I think that just carries on. That's Again, why it, Jeremy brings beer in the office because it gets me going. Yeah, loosen you up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, it used to be the whiskey, but I haven't done the whiskey in a while. Yeah. Anyway, I think all I right. Have to bring the whiskey back. Um, any other? Uh, I'm any, drinking whiskey. Do we, we cover all of our you know sharing and uh, feedback and all that? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's do. Let's get through the review. Okay. All right. I'm not going to read the name because it's actually two names and I'm not sure which name, so I'm just going to leave the name out. Uh, Regrettably, the best Salesforce podcast. Uh, that's the title. Uh, I'll read this. So that, that was, what, would, is that considered a backhanded compliment? I think I believe that's what that's called. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Regrettably, I the best Salesforce it, podcast. I think it's a compliment and a call for, for us to do better. How about that? Okay. <laughs> I if you like podcasts and work with Salesforce consistently, this is currently the only podcast choice for dependable and up-to-date content. The pros, up-to-date with Salesforce, keeps an eye on related technology. Long-form allows discussion of interesting tangents. Cons, Jeremy's too sardonic. I don't even know what that word means. <laughs> to be taken seriously. Uh, both hosts consistently cross the line of respectful criticism of Salesforce into mockery and contempt. The latest episode, Moonshot, is a glaring example of this. Bottom line, I never miss an episode. Appreciate that. Love it but have considered unsubscribing on numerous occasions. Jeremy's pattern of talking over and interrupting John is painful to listen to, even when he raises decent points. The show's lack of structure can allow for interesting tangents, but often devolves into Salesforce, Benioff, community degradation. End review. Hmm. Well, I, I would like to start, John, with, with your uh, thoughts on this review. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot of, a lot of good, valid points in here. I mean, I... But at the same time, I'm not sure that uh, this last sentence really got to me. I'll say when I first read this, it really got to me because it, it wasn't so much the Benioff thing. It was the community degradation part that got to me because I, I never felt like we attacked the community. I mean, we, we, we kind of were critical of some of the marketing and, and, and some of the cheerleading that goes on. But I'm never really, I don't feel like we're ever really attacking people for being involved in the community, wanting to grow in the community. I feel like we're, we're, we're good champions of the community. I mean, I mean, we are a community and certainly part of the community. Yeah. Too, we've right? started a community where everyone can kind of come and share their developer experiences and ask questions. And um, so I always felt like we were part of the community. And I always felt like my MVP acceptance was because not only my blog, but also because of the work I do on the podcast and being part of that community. So that part really got to me. And it, it actually almost made me do something that someone else talked me out of um, just because it really got to me. I, I, I felt like, they're, they're, am I really degrading the community? Because that's not my intent at all. My intent is just to be honest about my experiences and, and, and what we do. Um, so that, that was kind of my main takeaway from it was, was the the feedback of the community degradation part, that one really got to me. But um, I, I hope that's not how we come off. I, I hope that that people understand that we are part of this community. We we do care about this community and we're willing to help and, and talk to people and share experiences and and all those things. Um, uh, in terms of uh, Jeremy talking over me, I don't... I, I, I think it's because we're friends. It's, it's, it's not like... I, I, 
we're not. Well, like, no, no, I, I disagree. That's just not true. I mean, uh, <laughs> well, we're not. <laughs> we're not colleagues. We're we're long friends. I've known Jeremy since two thousand. So what, sixteen years? Yeah, maybe more. I mean, we just have this kind of relationship. Like sometimes Jeremy will say something, and I'm like, oh, he's just being Jeremy, and I'll just let it go. Yep. And and Jeremy knows me enough that he knows that he's not going to pull anything out of me, so he just does it. Uh, so a lot of a lot of what you're hearing or seeing, and you might seem like Jeremy's attacking me or talking over me. It's just because we're just long friends, and we just we just it's just the way we are with each other. I, I don't know how how else to describe that. I don't know if anyone else has, has that type of relationship yeah. with someone. <clears throat> I mean, I think that's yeah, it's kind of part of our shtick, and I, and and I and I say shtick, and and they, it's not a it's not a. Hmm. It's not an act. Yeah. Right? I mean, it might be... I, I do feel like I will exaggerate <clears throat> things. Not, I, don't, I don't mean exaggeration in like a lying sense. I'll exaggerate the dynamics of our relationship sometimes. Because it makes... It's fun, first of all. But also, yeah. I think it makes a better show. Yeah, a lot of things we do, we, we exaggerate in general... Not just between each other, but like even some of the ribbing we give Benny off, or even oh, yeah, exactly. It, it's it's not it's not mean spirited. We don't really think Benny off's the devil or anything like that. It's just it, it's comedy. It's entertainment. This, it's us, you know, putting on a show. Yeah, and and I think this show honestly is a reaction to a lot of the other shows that are out there, and a lot of the other voices, and the, and then the crowds, the walls of voices that are singing this monotone, you know, song. Right. This is show is a reaction to that in a, in, a, in some ways. That's yeah. a, that's an aspect of the show. It's and it's not just a just a be different or a counter just just to be a jerk. It's because I think we have different and you know I don't agree on a, a lot of things, but no, there's a lot don't. of things we do agree yeah. on at least enough to have kind of a somewhat uh, a joined voice. But it's it and we're not so we don't do this just to uh, be contrarian, right? Right. It's because we have this perspective that I think is different than a lot of the, a lot of the other perspectives are, or what the story that we're being told is. And so we kind of want to yell that. Like, we want to get our opinion out there that, hey, there's this other story because a lot of people, all they have is us telling, you know, giving them this message, letting them know that there are other people that feel the same way they do. And a lot of people may not, and they may not agree with us. And I would venture to say that a lot of those are the ones that probably listen for a few episodes and then never listen again. And if you, you know, that's fine. If I didn't agree with us and I just, I would, we would, I think to me, we would sound like a bunch of just, you know, complaining jerks. But there's, you know, and I'm, and I'm not defending. So let me just back up a little bit. I actually wrote some notes about this because I want to just get, I want to make sure I cover some points. Like I really liked this review. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Because it was honest and, and sincere. And they took the time to actually write it out and, and you know, raise some valid points. They I mean, were I really appreciate well-made it. points. I don't feel like they were attacking us. Nope. I feel like they were very fair. Yep. Um, I don't agree with all of it, which is fine. Um, and, and that's not to say they're wrong. I think that this is that person's opinion. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I, I hear you. <laughs> um, that doesn't mean I necessarily disagree with, or that, that I agree with everything they're saying. Um, or maybe I think that um, and there's some of the things that maybe I said, right? I mean, I probably do talk over you a lot. You know, um, I feel like you interrupt me a lot. Maybe I talk over you to, you know, maybe we interrupt each other to to balance each other out. It's like, you know, sometimes I feel like we're, it's an interrupting contest. Well, but maybe I'm worse I, than you. I, I, will say I probably that, am worse than you. I will say that, that a lot of times I will not consciously try to interject myself in the conversation because when we first started this podcast and we weren't sitting across from each other, we were, I was at my house and you were at your house. 
I did interrupt you constantly. I would always talk over you, and I was always interrupt you. That was because of the delay, though. Maybe, but it it became a thing to you're like oh, you're interrupting me. It became a <laughs> yeah, thing that she actually came to me and said, "You keep interrupting me. Yeah. I can't." Well, and and we're fortunate that we get to sit in the studio. Yeah, right. It, it made things easier. Right, right at yeah. each other here because when you're. <clears throat> When you're remote, you actually have to do really work on those. I mean, you can't you can't say ten four every time you finish a <laughs> sentence. You have to ten four because that would be weird. But there is that you know a three four hundred second a millisecond delay, and so you have to make sure that you really let the person stop before you start. Right. Because they just they might have just taken a, pa- a breath pause or something. Yeah. But, um, this is not that though. I mean, I, I, I'm sure I interrupt. So I'm not, I'm not saying they're completely wrong or whatever. I do think that. Um, they either just don't like our style, which is totally fine. In fact, I'm sure that we're brash to a lot of people, and I'm sure that turns a lot of people off. Um, that's fine, too, because, again, this goes back to we're not a product. Um, we don't sell our listener base to advertisers. Um, we don't try to be something that we're not. This is this is me. I mean, maybe I'm a jerk, right? I probably am. And there's, <laughs> you know, there's just going to be people that don't like it. They don't like the style, um, well, they, I'd, I'd, they think we're being, you know, overly critical. Well, we are critical, and I can, and we, and we're we have fun with it, right? We yeah. we play Benioff clips, you know. Um, okay, uh, you know, you know. Yes, I'm sardonic. Yes, I'm sarcastic. Um, to a degree, we're irre- we're irre- irreverent, if I can say that. Irreverent. <laughs> irreverent. You're you know. Cut off. Exactly. <laughs> but it's you know a lot of this is comedy, and you know, do I think we're funny? No, but. It, to us, it's it's kind of comedy. Like we we crack each other up sometimes. Yeah. It may be bad comedy, but to us, it's comedy and it's fun. And Salesforce yeah, I mean, gives we us. Don't, we don't get paid to do this. I mean, we do this because we enjoy exactly. it. Because we this cost, enjoy being. And, and I don't I don't want to. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. over you. I'm interrupting you. I go for it. Um, we don't make any money. This costs us a lot of money, and I don't want to. I don't. I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone or talk and or oh look at how much we're putting into this. I'm not doing that. But especially the time. It's not the equipment. It's not even this. It's not even the studio space that we have to pay a ridiculous amount for. It's it's the time that really costs us, and you and I put basically a lot of our a lot mm-hmm. of our money into this show to make this happen. Yeah. And we print up shirts. Whatever charge you one for shirts, probably should charge for shirts. <laughs> but we don't. We print up hundreds of shirts and give them away for free. Um, well, it's, it's, just, fun. it's fun. We, we enjoy right. that people enjoy us enough that they want to wear a shirt with our logo on it, and they want to be part of the community. Yeah. That 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 that's all yeah. I need. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean. Well, I, I, I don't know. A big check. If I was starving, a, a big check would be nice. If, if I was starving, then <laughs> yeah. then I might need more. Yeah, but, do, but I'm not starving. And we so we this do is, this because we can, yeah. right? I mean, but you know, Salesforce does give us plenty of reasons to be sardonic and skeptical. I don't think. <laughs> I mean, come on, let's be honest. Yeah. No. Well, I do want to say that it. You know, I don't think this review was saying that they don't like us. I, I just think that this review is just being honest about you know. Uh, you know, some of the things they like about the show and some of the things they don't like about the show. But, uh, you know, e- even in this review themselves, they they say that, you know, they continue to listen. They still they just still don't miss an episode, which, you know, that I really appreciate that. I do too. And like I said, I'm not saying anything they're saying is invalid. I, I might disagree with some parts of it, but I mean, actually, I'm going to, I'm, there's certain parts of this I'm, I'm going to keep in mind because I, I don't, you know, I, there's, there is a line between being funny and kind of joking around and, and being mean. Yeah, and what I and I I'm sure I have crossed that line. There's been times. How many times, John? People don't understand this. John and I are not. Um, obviously, we're not professional broadcasters. <laughs> that it goes without saying. But like this was. I mean, this is hard for us. I mean, we're not naturals in behind a microphone. Right. And I mean, gosh. I mean, the, gosh. The first fifty episodes is like pulling teeth. I, I feel like. Well, just how, so, how many times have you talked me down from the ledge? Because I'm like, I don't want to post that episode. I, I know. I, I, I probably sound like a complete <laughs> idiot. I, I and and you're like just listen to it once it'll be fine. 
and, and there's been times when after we've recorded, I'm thought, oh, was I was I too hard on someone? Was I was that mean? Yeah. Um, because I don't want to, and, and I know that's that's a that's a sloppily drawn line between having fun but being critical in our little way we do it and being mean. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be mean. I don't ever want to get personal. You know, I don't want to um, uh, just be nasty. You know, uh, ad hominem or any of that kind of stuff. But I mean. I, I don't know. It, it, that's that's hard. So I don't know. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I'm not saying I'm going to change anything or whatever, but uh, it's I'm something I'm, you know, before this, I mean, it's something I've always thought about. I've always thought about that. I'm always trying to be careful when it comes to that. But I also don't want to be like an over, I think I'm a bad enough self-censorer anyway, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, let me get this, this in my mind right here. So, um, yeah, like I said, I mean, if you're looking for the Kool-Aid drinking, you know, dyed in the wool, People, those podcasts exist, but and that's not. I don't think we'd be good at that. That's not our value. Our value is like what the way we see, anyways, cutting between the you know, cutting out the BS, being honest. I don't know and, if I'm having Kool Aid drinking. I, I just think that different podcasts. Well, you don't think there's some Kool Aid drinking podcasts out there? I'm not saying that. I'm okay. saying that I I think there's just a podcast with different audiences, and they want to cater to a different audience. They totally do, and that's their thing. But okay, you know, the easiest thing to do would be to have an all positive podcast. And I know that, like you said, that that approach resonates with people. But I think it also turns a lot of people off. I mean, we've had plenty of people say that they can't stand some of these other shows and whatever. But it, it does, I think it does create a, a cognitive dissonance that can be tough to deal with. It's tough for, I think, people that feel similarly that share some feelings that we do and, and for us. I mean, because this is what we do. We do Salesforce for, for a living. Mm-hmm. But we also get on this show once a week and we criticize it. We, we're honest about it. We don't, this is not, this is not a, 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 a you know, consulting partner approved show. We'd get fired yeah. if we did the show and we had real jobs. And we also, we're taking a big risk doing this show the way we do it. I think so. I mean, I've, I, I've, there have been instances where I know for a fact that I've gotten burned because of the show. And there's, who knows what we don't even know about, you know? Right. And there's, you know, I've had people tell me, this is not the first time I've had someone say that, um, oh gosh, what did some, I'm trying to think what this person said. Basically, that we it was just a, a joke, and we were um, I don't know oh, what was the word, just sound too sarcastic or something. Mm. But like I said, we give credit where credits due. Um, we're just not going to be spoon fed the BS, and we're also we're also child. Like you got to admit this, we're child's play compared to some of the other criticism. Um, look at some of those Valley Wag articles when Valley Wag used to think. I mean, the long pieces written about Benioff. Uh, mm. Read Dan Lyons' book. Dan Lyons is not some schlub. Um, was it disrupted or whatever? Or go reading the investor message boards. You know, Benioff brings a lot of this on himself. <laughs> Don't you think? I feel like you, you you went like so many different places with this. I don't know. He's a big boy, though. He absolutely. He's a billionaire. He he, he's a big boy. Salesforce is a big boy. He's a, pu- he's a nothing, public figure. Nothing we say or do is going to affect Salesforce. Salesforce is fine. And, and, right. and you know, well, and we're not trying to bring Salesforce down. We're, yeah. we're, the whole point of this, the whole point of, at least for me, you know, get, having, um, and there's probably more constructive ways. Like I should, re, you know, I should resurrect a, a blog and probably write because I think I'd be more constructive in writing probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but sorry, this is what I do. I mean, maybe I'll get the blog prop back up at some point and, and I'll do that too. But this is how, this is how I raise issues and raise awareness. I mean, when I, when I've had the chance to talk to the right people at Salesforce, I say the same things. I yeah. bring up the same issues, the same criticisms. Yeah. 
you know, I this is just this is my way of whether it helps or whether it works or not of making this place better, of trying to put some pressure in the right places, trying to do whatever I can do to nudge Salesforce in the right directions and just let them know there's a voice. Yeah. And by the way, there's you know, there are a lot of people that listen to the show that agree with this and that have these that that feel the same way. I'm sure not. I'm sure no one agrees with everything we say or every every position. I, that would be weird if they did. But you know, most people seem to love that. Uh, I don't know rainbows and unicorns aspect of Salesforce. The the dreamy, feel good, you know, mindfulness zones. I mean, hell, they call their conference Dreamforce. That's where dreams come true, Jeremy. It is, except when they turn into nightmares. <laughs> Which they do sometimes. And that's, you know, like I said, we're going to talk about the nightmares too. But that, try- that, that, Jeremy, that's called a hangover. Oh, okay. <laughs> you got, dr- oh, yeah, you right. drank too much the night before. That night on the, uh, what do we call that? The poop boat or whatever. <laughs> what was our name for that? I don't remember. <laughs> the dream boat. Um, but, you know, try, try, try being an ISV. Try building large apps on Salesforce. Um, uh, try try switching branches. Try switching Git branches on a hundred thousand plus, or even a ten thousand line uh, lines of code code base in Salesforce. I mean, there's just basic stuff that Salesforce really still needs to fix. Um, I'm not going to get you started you know, on try, this stuff now. Try doing what the things that Benioff says you can do. You know, the, the truth is, Salesforce has got a long history of releasing these kind of half baked technologies with enough marketing icing on top to to uh, you know make it. Palatable, I guess, or to at least to to make it look good. Uh, this reviewer got you started. Didn't well, they, they did. You don't have to go soon, right? Oh, you do. If we're going to do a oh. catch release, okay. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think that uh, just to close this up, and the, the, the talking over you thing. I mean, that's that's something I think I'll take into consideration because I don't want to. I mean, now, granted, you do sometimes you do need to be stopped and corrected. <laughs> I thought I thought my mispronunciation of words was was like uh, title fodder. Yeah, could be. But you know, I mean, like I said, I'm not a professional broadcaster. Hell, I'm I'm two beers in right now. You know, <laughs> there's going to be some rambunctiousness. Is that the best thing for our show? I have no idea. Some people think it's hilarious, and obviously, some people, you know, it rubs them the wrong way. And I don't want to rub people the wrong way. But and I'm, you know, I'm really appreciative that this person is hanging in there. You know. Yeah. And I'll I don't know. I'll try not to be such an ass. I guess. <laughs> but I I I thank you for. Uh, you know, for listening, still listening, even though, you know, we're, can be buttheads. Um, and I'll, I'll, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with it. I don't either. I'm just, and I, and I, I appreciate the review. It was, that was, well, you, I mean, I think everyone knows I, I really, I like, I like the critical reviews. This is only like the second I one we've ever had. you asked for this. I know, I did. I want the critical reviews. And I know there's, I know that, you know, this, it's not like this, this is not a one of a kind. There's other people, a lot of people that probably feel this way. Like I said, it's not that I'm, I'm not, I can't change who I am or I don't want to change what this show is about for you and I. It's always, yeah. it's, it's always been just a conversation yeah. between us. So anyway, all right. And we've always thought, you know, hopefully someone finds that interesting. Exactly. Intro, interest. I've only had one. No, I'm. I know. I just you know can't say means? interesting. Oh, no. That's correctly not. without slurring. Your tolerance <laughs> has really gone down, John. Well, I can't help it. Yeah. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing! You lose! Good day, sir!